On this episode of Geek Out Loud, Lord Scott Riken stops by as we walk through the MU. I think that's what we call it. Read through the MU. MU read through. You, this is the don't you can't talk over me during the opening. This is a safe place to geek out. Geek Out Loud. Welcome to Geek Out Loud. This is your safe place to geek out on the internet. If you're wondering why I have no energy as I come on, it's it really comes down to um, I'm kind of ticked at Scott Rifen right now for talking. What, what I do? You were talking over the intro, man. Oh, I didn't know that was like. Am I banned from the intro talk? L- yes. Uh, no. In in 239. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. In 239 episodes of Geek Out Loud, when has anyone ever spoken? During that whole little spiel. You needed help. I was trying to help you. I'm one take gloss and I don't need help. You were screwing up the take. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen. He is the second most listened to man in South Georgia radio. He's a, he is a Disney file, a star Wars fan, lifelong star Wars fan. In fact, since, since back in 1977, and he's a Marvel Comics kid like myself, and I'm glad to have him here. My good friend, Scott Rifen. And I enjoy long walks on the beach, puppy dogs, frolicking in the forest. Do you frolic? You keep doing this? Well, I don't know. I mean, I've got your music playing behind you there. Okay. <laughs> so I can just keep going then. Okay, yeah. good. Listen. No, I- Sounded like I was being introduced on the dating game or something. You're a, you're a professional broadcaster. You can handle it. Oh, that's right. That's right. This is the thing. If I ask you to vamp, you know how to vamp, buddy. Oh, sure. Yeah. I vamp all the time. That's for three hours a morning. For three hours a morning. Monday through Friday. Yeah. Straight talk. What is Correct. that? 7 to 10 a.m.? 7 to 10. 1440 WGIG. Also on the iHeartRadio app. That's correct. And in podcast form. Oh, yeah. They've got the podcast there on the iHeartRadio. Correct. Nice. Yeah. Well, how... So now I've got chat people telling me they can't hear me. Can you hear me okay? My can, level's good? I can hear you fine. I don't know why the chat people well, can't hear you. I don't know. They keep telling me to turn my mic up. Don't... Your mic sounds fine. Andy, let me Google that for you, Linderman. They keep talking. They keep telling you. Don't... That's one person said that. Okay. Everything's fine. I'm looking at the waveform right now. Everything's fine. Okay, good. All right. So, uh, Scotland, welcome. Hi. It's good to have I, you, man. I'm excited about what we're going to do here tonight. I haven't, I haven't been on this show in like seven years. Uh, I think it's been probably two. It's been, well, how long have you been in Rome? Because I it's think I've been, been in Rome. Uh, I've been in Rome uh, in July, will be two years. Yeah, and the last time I was on your show, I was at your house, I think. Well, cool. So, it's been a while. Been a while. And I finally had to call you up and go, hey, I got an idea. Would you please just put me on? Well, you you were trying to get me to do a whole other podcast for a minute there. Well, and by a minute, you mean like five years. Right. 
and yeah. and I just didn't have time for one, and now I don't have time for any. And <laughs> but somehow, yes. somehow they keep happening. Um, I need to mention a couple of things before we get going too much, Scott. Number one, StarkvilleLabs.com slash expo. StarkvilleLabs.com slash expo is where you can buy your tickets for the Starkville Live, the Stark Expo Live. Uh, it's a night of podcasting for charity, benefiting generosity.org. Brian Austin Green will be in the house, along with Derek Russell, myself, and a bunch of other podcasters. Uh, let's see. Featuring live podcasts with Brian Austin Green, Derek Russell, Steve Lawson, Graham Hancock, and more, and live music from old Dane Davenport. It's going to be at the Switchyards Downtown Club in Atlanta, Georgia, on Saturday, September 1st. 2018 general admission and vip tickets are on sale but the vip has sold out uh for more information head over to starkvillelabs.com slash expo derek says we need to sell some tickets so that is my contractually obligated promo i will be there it's a rare public appearance by me oh that's gonna be great yeah i've not made a public appearance in a while why not just hadn't had the opportunity Oh, this is going to be the Svelte Steve making a public appearance. I don't, too. I don't know if it'll be Svelte Honkin' Steve or not. I'm trying to be. So, Steve. that's a, actually that's a throwback to. I don't know that that episode. I think that may be one of the lost episodes of the Third Age of the Big Honkin' Show. When my cousin was on for my birthday, and we mm-hmm. pirated the radio show for an extra hour. We pirated that radio station for an extra hour. Man. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, I went three hours on that day for my birthday, and. Okay. Um, well, the manager was out of town. He was out of the listening area, so he couldn't hear. But nobody would say anything? No, there was only one other person employed at that radio station. That was the station manager. He didn't care? He was out of town. He couldn't hear. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, see, that, like when I used to work at the mall, mm-hmm. if my manager was out of town, I did something, somebody told him. Right. There was always somebody keeping their eyes on you. Well, at this little, at this little thing, at this little place, there was no, I mean, he was it. You know, other than the station owner and all that guy cared about was his little station over in Douglas. So. Am I supposed to say something here? Turn up the bass. I switched mics for you, man. Well, why'd you switch mics? That's why it popped and went all weird for a minute. No, well, because my my G-man walked in and he's like, you are a little low. Mm. So I said, okay, G-man. How did he? I'll go change it for you. How did he know? Now you sound real tinny. Because he's, <laughs> he's listening on the uh, on the mixer. I'll tell you, I'll put both mics in. How about this? How about now? What is this like? Oh, man, this is perfect. I got two mics going. You put the effects on for that. I don't put a, don't start messing with effects. <laughs> okay. We're not doing that amateur hour stuff here on Geek Out Loud. <laughs> this is not amateur hour. This is Geek Out Loud. So, Which I guess could be called amateur hour. Now that, I think, now that I think about it, this is amateur See, hour. You call it amateur hour enough. <laughs> M. Dunn in the chat says, was this the station where Steve ran over the guy's cat? It was the radio station's cat. He had crawled up into my vehicle, and yes. Hey, hey wait, you ran over an animal too? Yeah, but this was, yeah, and this was coming home from the show one day. I can't, I can't live the raccoon down. How did you get over this? Well, because the next week I was dismissed from the show. <laughs> over the cat yeah no it was uh it was cutbacks like rocky oh. 2 oh 
No, uh, was it Rocky? Yeah, it was Rocky Two where they cut back at the meat factory. Yeah. Don't question my Rocky knowledge, oh, boss. Yeah. You're right. Speaking of which, I know we got to talk Marvel Unlimited. Yes, can sir. We, can, we, can we devote two minutes to Creed? Can we? We we better. <laughs> we better. Because uh, I got to tell you, I, I think you and I are alike in that we both adore the Rocky movies and we both fell in love with Creed. Creed, uh, yes, I no adore the Rocky movies. I've said it a million times. If there were no Star Wars, um, Rocky would be my Star Wars. Yes. Therefore, Rocky is now my Star Wars. <laughs> Let's play some audio from that trailer here. You got this. You got me? In the ring, you got rules. Outside, we got nothing. Life hits you with all these cheap shots. People like me, we live in the past. You got people that need you now. Damn. You got everything to lose. This guy's got nothing to lose. I ain't got a choice. That's the same thing your father said, and he died right here in my hands. Listen to me, this guy is dangerous. But you don't think I could beat him? I couldn't live up to these expectations. I got, I got, I got, I got loyalty inside my DNA. You don't think you got your validation? I got loyalty, got loyalty inside my DNA. I got loyalty, got war and peace inside my DNA. I got power, poison, pain, and joy inside my DNA. I want to rewrite history. Don't pretend this is about your father. I was born like this, it's born like this. Immaculate conception, I transform like this, perform like this, what else you want Dude, he turns around and it's dragged. And I was telling you, I was thinking as I was watching this thing, I'm like, man, this really feels like they're doing, they're going hardcore Rocky Four right now. And and I'd heard, and I just kind of forgot when I was watching this, and I'd heard that um, uh, Drago himself, um, why can't I think of his name, Scott? Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren. Had, Not had, confused with Dolph Sweet. Right. And uh, and so when dude turns around on the back of his robe, it just says Drago. I'm like, oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah. And there's a there's a moment where there's some lighting over a ring, um, that is in like a diamond shape that looks like the lighting over the ring in Vegas when Apollo was fighting. That's how nice. much into see that is the detail level I'm into the Rocky movie, Scott. Yeah, you know, but it, it's funny because when I first heard the Drago thing a while back, I said, "Oh, great, Stallone has taken over this franchise and he's going to just retread this thing." But I got to tell you, the way they revealed it in the trailer was great, and the way they set up the conflict, which was basically, you know, he's lived in his dad's shadow ever since he found out about him, and. I, I, you know, this is, it's not just, I'm going to get revenge for my dad. It's I'm going to step out of my dad. I'm going to do what my dad couldn't do. Right. Which also kind of sets up another interesting Rocky esque scenario, which is he doesn't have to win to win. He has to survive to win. And that's right. It. Right. He um, died right here in my hands. Yeah. Um, that's great. 
but you know, you mentioned how Rocky Four they went, but there's a lot of Rocky Two beats in there too. Yeah, there's the, there's the hospital after the fight. Right. Do you think that's directly after that fight? I feel like it is. Yeah. Because there's the it's, point where he's saying hey to that baby, and he's and his face is still kind of mangled. Well, there is the baby stuff too, which I thought of as Rocky Two stuff. That's true. Yeah. I don't know. I I, I felt like some of the hospital stuff because his face was all mangled. Mm-hmm. I thought it was the, the hospital after the fight with the. Uh, with uh, Conor McGregor, what's his name? With <laughs> what's the what's the guys the Brick guys name? Ricky uh, Ricky Bobby. No, oh, what's his name? The guy from the first movie you're talking about? Yeah. The bad guy? Yeah. I don't. I, you know what? I don't remember. I've got to watch Creed. He just reminds me of Conor McGregor for mm-hmm. some reason. But uh, um, but yeah, it's it's. Uh, I thought it was that because you know one of the coolest moments to me of Rocky Two is when Rocky wheels over to Apollo's room. And mm-hmm. Apollo's just laying there in the bed, and he's just, and Apollo's just spent. Yeah. Apollo's done. And Rocky comes over, yo, Apollo, can I ask you a question? He's like, yeah. He's like, you give me your best out there tonight? Yeah, man. And he's just like, yeah, man, yeah. And it's like, that's all That's all Rocky needs to well, know. What that's I love is Rocky says, thank you. You know, thank like you. it's yeah. just. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, he knows, he knows he did what he wasn't supposed to do, but he's got to make sure it wasn't a sham. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a great, great moment mm-hmm. with those guys, and both those guys played it so well. You were talking about Pretty Ricky Conlon, by the way. Yeah, Pretty Ricky. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, I, dude, I, I was not. Exp- I didn't realize this movie was being made. I thought it was still in the writing stages and stuff. Mm-mm. And and so when that trailer hit today, like it was just this great surprise. And I'm telling you, it could turn out that November is my favorite month this year. <laughs> well, you know, it it's. Uh... The reason Kugler's not making it is because he left to go do Black Panther. So right. I knew that the shooting schedules at least overlapped somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, yeah, I, I knew it was being made and something somewhere was happening. But uh, now something else happening in November? Or is it just Creed? This well, Thanksgiving. Hello, a day devoted to eating. <laughs> Sorry, I thought we were all both on the wagon here. No, <laughs> well, not in November. I won't be. <laughs> still be unfortunately well I, I will need to be but i mean i will take off for i will take off for thanksgiving mm. so i don't know i've proven know. to myself i got some willpower well that's good yeah that's good yeah so um yeah i'm i'm stoked about this i cannot like this is one that I, i'll have to get tickets for opening night and go to a good theater for and everything like i'm not going to waste time well the first one i really kind of I, I kind of waited around, you know, mm-hmm. and I remember I was, it was one evening I was coming home from something and, and Derek was like, Hey, I just saw Creed. It's great. And like, he really talked it up to me. And so I just dropped all my plans for that night and drove over to see Creed and was yeah. so happy. I did, you know? Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> this, I'm not going to make that mistake this time. No, I took the family and, uh, you know, I was expecting, and it was funny, as I'm watching, I didn't know what to expect, but as I'm watching it, I'm going, I'm watching something new and different. And then by the end of it, I realized Ryan Coogler had taken the Rocky formula and and the same Rocky formula and had just put such a new coat of paint over it mm-hmm. that it just seemed like something completely fresh. Oh, yeah, it was an, it, it was an amazing feat to take a, to take a, a spinoff of this franchise that, by all rights, should not have worked. Like the Creed no. should not have worked. No. And it was I, so good. Yeah. This is on the MGM YouTube. This is what it says in theaters. November 21st. Life has become a balancing act for Adonis Creed. 
Between personal obligations and training for his next big fight, he is up against the challenge of his life. Facing an opponent with ties to his family's past only intensifies his impending battle in the ring. Rocky Balboa is there by his side through it all, and together Rocky and Adonis will confront their shared legacy, question what's worth fighting for, and discover that nothing's more important than family. Creed 2 is about going back to basics to rediscover what made you a champion in the first place, and remembering that no matter where you go, you can't escape your history. Man. Heavy. Heavy. I'm I'm so excited. Oh yes. Yeah. I'm no, stoked. I am too. I'm really stoked for this. I think it's but gonna I'll, be great. I'll let you and, and Arish talk about this though. I don't want to step in Arish's territory. <laughs> oh great. Someone in the chat, Christopher Let's already start and will Rocky die. <laughs> you know, the only reason I think Rocky won't die. Although it'd be great if Rocky got in the ring with Draco. Yo, I, take it out in the first act. When all this is over, you're going to owe me a favor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what favor? Uh, but, yeah, I uh, I don't know. It, the reason I don't think Rocky dies is because Stallone's kind of taking charge of this franchise yeah. again. Well, I don't think Rocky needs to die, necessarily. I, as long no. as he doesn't come, as long as he doesn't step up front and center, you know, like, it, it can't be Rocky's story. It has to remain Creed's story. Yes, absolutely. And and as long as Rocky is a supporting character, as long as he's the Mickey, that's fine. Yep. And I know Mickey died. Everyone shut up. <laughs> Say that. <laughs> but but I but you know I I think that there's also this idea of why I have to do. You don't want to rehash, and that is listen. That is a danger they run here. You don't want to just rehash the past and what's been done, like you said. Yeah. But this this little teaser trailer makes it look really. Like they may not be doing that. Like they, you know, it's just a matter of escaping your history and overcoming your past kind of deal. Yeah. And I, the only thing I kept going was, you know, uh, Creed hasn't really won a fight yet for us. Right. So I'm just, I'm like, why is he getting these big gigs like this unless it's just for his name recognition? Well, it's, a, it's name recognition. The Drago Creed rematch. Remember what happened when James Brown was there? Now, if James Brown Jr. comes out and does a couple of pieces beforehand, then I'll be satisfied. <laughs> but otherwise... Coast to coast! Station <laughs> to station! Ow! Hey! I feel good! <laughs> hot in the hot tub! Right. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, this now I have to go back and... I, well, I watched... I actually introduced my lady friend to... Um, Rocky the other night for the first time. You introduced her to it? Yeah, she'd never watched it. Wow. Yeah. She was concerned that it was just a boxing movie. Oh, no. And, and uh, Apparently the boxing in the first one. That's what I said. I said there's two times where you see boxing at the very beginning and at the very end. Yeah. And uh, she loved it. She she totally bought into Rocky and Adrian. She totally bought into Rocky. She hates Paulie just like you're not supposed to like Paulie. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so I've I'm like, you got to watch two now. Yes. And, and so hopefully we'll do that soon. But then I told her, I'm like, I can't sell three and four to you the way I've sold one and two. You have to be completely bought into these characters to watch yes. three and four. Because yes. three and four do go totally 80s and, and lean heavy into the fighting aspect of everything. Well, and, and four, I was telling, I was telling G-Man earlier today, four, you know, four is, and it's one of the reasons that it doesn't stand up for me as much on repeat viewings. 
is because it is it's ninety minutes. It's the length of an animated feature. It's an it's an airplane movie. <laughs> it's an eighties I mean? action flick, man. It's a police squad movie, mm-hmm. a police academy movie. Yeah. Length. Um. So there's not a lot of meat to it. It's it's you know it's fight. It's train. You know, to that end, there's nothing slowing it down. No, no, like, it, do, it, it does move. It does move just fine. Character stuff or anything. Uh, but the two strikes against it to me are just the fact that it's a little thin and it's the one time he did not get Bill Conti to score one of the Rocky movies. Well, he and Bill Conti had had a falling out. I've heard Stallone yeah. talk about that. Yeah, that yep. they, they had and a falling out it. and he regretted it. Yep. I would like to see that movie redone with a little Bill Conti action in it. Mm-hmm. You know? Please, sir. Like Rocky Four, the special edition. I tell you what, here's the thing. Instead of, I know that everyone loves Hearts on Fire. I know that that's just like, it's so great. But I, if we could see that training montage, stuff it with the, um, with the original Rocky, with the original Rocky music, you know? Yeah. Gonna fly now. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I think that'd be great. So I'm not calling on Stuffity to do that. I'm just saying, I mean, I can, I can actually go and turn down the sound and turn on the <laughs> gonna fly now. <laughs> Or, I mean, if you're really going to go out there, put redemption over it. Mm. Just, you know, th- thematically. Right. Hold well, on. It's let not me... a better tune, but, you know. Well, let me pull this up. Redemption over his training montage? Yeah, it's a little slower. It's a little slower pace, but it's it's serious and focused. Plus, it's got that wicked synth drum in it. Boo! This? Yeah. Mmm... Maybe. I might but this. Uh, Come on. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't get much better than that, Bill. Oh goodness. Man, I listen, I love the I love those Rocky movies. And I think four yeah, four I agree with you. It it doesn't hold up as well as the others because of the lack of character stuff. Um but there is still some of that character stuff in there. And it's all about <laughs> And and I, and it's really subtle because it's like he's telling Adrian, you know, I can't. It, Apollo says we can't change who we are. He tells Adrian, I can't change who I am. And then at the end, he's like, if I can change and you can yes. change, everybody can change. Yes. No, it's in there. Yeah. It's in there, but it's just it's it's not it's not a lot of it. They skate really quickly over it. Yeah, they really um, do. But, you know, but it, what it feels like to me is that it felt like they said, here, we will give you the money to make another Rocky. Here's the mm-hmm. date. It's got to come out. Yeah. And he went, oh, I'll go better get in gear. Yeah. And you know what Sylvester Stallone's car sounds like when it won't start on a cold morning, too, don't you? What's that? <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> That's terrible. Where do you stand on Rocky Five? You know where I stand on Rocky Five. I'm not a fan. Okay, I don't know. Th- I don't know. If we've ever talked about Rocky yeah, Five. Yeah, we talked about it because you blasted me for it. Oh, yeah, did I? I yeah, because you're. I know you're a bit of an apologist for it. I'm not a fan of. Rocky now wait Five. a minute. Hold on. I, I think apologist is a little tough. No, it just means you're arguing. I mean, the classical definition of apologist is that you, you know, you're someone who argues for it. I do argue for it. Yeah, and I don't. I see it. I recognize its weaknesses. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying to be called a robot too. Um. But I also understand what he was doing in in trying to take Rocky back down. Yeah, you know. But he did it. He did that so much better in Balboa. 
Oh, totally. Agreed. So yes, much 100% agree. Well, I, I said after Balboa, I said, you know, Rocky Five. I wanted to see more Rocky just to end on a good note. Yeah. With Rocky Balboa, I wanted to see more Rocky because Rocky Balboa was that good. Yeah, you it know? really was. And everything, like all the right nostalgia beats, all the right... Um, all, all the right moments and, and notes of character from him, you know, Rocky five. I think that, I think if you'd have taken out some of the hip hop and, and, and not, I don't know, like there's something about the storyline with the kid, you know, and that just doesn't, yeah, it doesn't quite flow well. No, I completely agree. Um, but I think that you could have, if you could have gotten some more nostalgia beats in there, um, but he hits a lot of those beats with the kid right in Balboa. The same oh, yeah. you know, thing, except he's grown up now. He's got the job and mm -hmm. everything. But it's the same stuff. Yeah. It's, it's almost like he went Balboa. And like, oh, I messed that one up. Let me try it again. Yeah. And and did Balboa, and it's it's right. Everything's almost, right. There's, oh, yeah, there's almost nothing wrong of that uh, that movie. I would like to have seen him actually get the original uh, what, Little Marie actress. Well, you know, she's in a deleted scene in Rocky Five. Oh, is she? Yeah, and actually she ends up being a prostitute. Oh, no. Well, so, that it works out better. Yeah, so thank goodness that that was I love the lady that played Marie. No, I just I just, you know, you know, it's I'm kind of anal about that stuff, the continuity stuff. So you really hate that his kid changes from movie to movie to movie then. <laughs> his kid changes a lot. And, and not just changes, but I mean ages dramatically. Ages. Yes. Yeah. Yes, because it's like, oh, this happens the next day, and the kid's five years older. What right. The heck? Well, Rocky flew from Russia to America through a time warp. <laughs> that uh, that explains a little bit, anyway. Mm -hmm. Just a little bit. But yeah, four four is a massive age increase for that kid between three and four. Yes, it's, indeed. Yeah. Well, in between four and five. And between four and five, yeah. Yeah, he's he's old enough to get his ear pierced in five, which is a big deal for kids. Mark Hamill says he's like uh, Russ and Audrey. Yes. Yeah. He is like <laughs> Russ and Audrey. M. Dunn, Rocky Five is canon. That's why Rocky's living, you know, kind of on the poor side of town in, uh, in, in Philly. It doesn't suck, Daniel and Indy. Rocky Five is where he goes back to Smallville. There's a terrible scene where Rocky's sitting in the bar and he's thumping peanuts at a mirror. And his boxer strength is breaking the mirror, and it's it's really bad. And then he goes to a then he goes to a <laughs> junkyard and fights himself. Hey, other piece of news that's come out. Yeah. Speaking of Superman, mm -hmm. um, saw oh, yeah. saw, saw this on the Facebook. Yes, they are bringing Nuclear Man into comic continuity in you know in what? the Superman comics. Go for it. Hey. I posted Michael Bailey, Professor Michael Bailey, actually yes. posted that on his Facebook wall, and I, I, I rarely comment on what Michael has to say, but this time I commented because Michael and I share that bond, and I was like, I, I, what did I say? I said it. I said it. Um, I said this news dash, and I mean this sincerely dash, makes me happy. <laughs> it's the or, or this news makes me happier than most Superman news of the past like five or six years. Yeah. And and uh, Brian Michael Bendis liked my comment. <laughs> Oh, did so, he really? Yeah. Oh, cool. So that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, dude, I am... I said, this is, and I mean this sincerely, my favorite Superman news in years. That that uh, 
nuclear man is coming to the comics. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, I think it's great. Give them a shot. Try it out. See what happens. You know, be 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 experimental, but also don't be afraid to have fun. Yeah, and that's what that says to me. Yeah, I'm. I think it's great. And two, and Superman Four is another movie that I'm an apologist for. Superman Four. Yeah. Yeah, you and Gardner share that. I I can't. I can't. I I. You know, not the classical definition of apologize, but the other one is what I would do. For right. Superman. I understand. Well, the thing <laughs> is, I I think it's a better plot. And I think that it is a more sound concept to explore than than Superman three. Yes, but there are just these little careless errors that drive me nuts. Well, sure, but that's also Golden Globus from back in the day. I mean, yeah. yeah. It's just like okay, Lex Luthor. Remember, he wears wigs, right? Because he's bald. He's right. totally bald. Then why is he balding? Is he wearing a balding wig? He sure is. And it's, <laughs> is he? He's wearing a wig with a bald spot on the back and a thin hairline up front. Yes, that's exactly what he's doing. What? He uh, was balding in Superman the movie. No, he had it, but it was a wig at the end. They took his hair off and it right. was a wig. But a balding wig? Not like he was balding in four. Well, the point is this. Gene Hackman never wanted to wear the bald cap anyway. Well, that's so, true. So to get him back, it was probably just like, we're not going to worry about that. It doesn't, I mean, he. it's fine. It's fine. Lex Luthor and his nephew Ducky. Yeah, yeah. Just Whoa, it's a dude of steel, Uncle uh, Lex. Look, I'm not okay. saying I'm not saying that the movie is a perfect movie by any stretch of the imagination. I'm saying the heart is there, and and there are moments that are just really, really good. And were the special effects a tad bit better, I think it'd be one of the best movies of the '80s. The premise of this film is that sovereign nations are invaded by Superman, mm -hmm. who then forcibly deprives them of their weaponry, Yeah, which is, to me, cause for war in the first place, mm -hmm. and then throws it all in the sun. Mm -hmm. And his actions, being a fascist to the entire planet, caused the creation of nuclear man. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but he also learned in that, when the people of this planet want peace badly enough, then they'll rise up and demand that their leaders give it to them. I learned not to become a fascist dictator to yeah. the entire planet. You know what? I always read it, though, because they, these people were going out launching these missiles. I always read it as though they were all getting on board with Superman saying, yeah, here, take our missiles. We trust you. Take our missiles, please. Because why else are people launching nuclear missiles? I don't know. So Good it question. was they were launching them so Superman could grab them, and they made him that big old net that he could put them all in and throw them out to the sun. <laughs> This is not getting any better. <laughs> I'm not saying the movie is good. No. And I'm and I and even like Tom Mankiewicz said, you know, he he said you can never do Superman solves the world's problems. And unfortunately, Christopher Reeve really wanted. He was really passionate about, you know, the nuclear arms race and that sort of thing in in those days. <clears throat> and um, as many people were. And so he, you know, he wanted to use the tools at his disposal to try to make a statement about it. Mm -hmm. And in a fantasy world that Superman exists in, people don't get mad when he takes the nukes away. You know? Yeah, yeah that's where I can't. That's where I got to draw the line. Well, that's fine. You know, I mean, you, so you didn't draw the line at a young boy, a, a baby rocketed from Krypton. Nope. Okay. I mean, well, uh, no, I mean, because he's, he's, it's fantasy and he's well-intentioned, but when he's, when he's invading sovereign nations to take their weapons away, it's like... He never oh, invaded a sovereign nation, though. They launched the missiles to him. 
they launch the missiles to him. Right. Uh, you never just, see him go into a country and take their missiles away. Mm, I just can't. I can't do this. Well, I can't do it. That's fine. Can't do it, Sally. Elisa Leah says, Superman 4 is the only movie I've ever walked out of. Well, I tell you what, there's a scene at the beginning when he's in Smallville selling the farm and he's going to hold out for a real farmer and he, and he swings the bat and hits the ball away. There's the, that last crystal and he gets scratched by um, a nuclear man and gets sick and, and Lois comes to see him and she's like, if he were here, I'd tell him we miss him and we need him. It's like she gives him the cape, you know, and so he uses the last bit of Krypton energy to to heal himself and so now he is he is solely a citizen of earth and he's no longer a man of two worlds oh that's that's tear jerking listen i understand that it's not a good movie and i and i'm not asking people i'm not saying you have to like it i'm telling you that it is one of the foundation stones of geek out loud okay you know i'm not not trying to take it away from you man superman four rocky five Foundation stones. They're cornerstones of Geek Out Loud. I'm not trying to take them from you. I'm just not joining you in the pool. I'm just saying I'm seeing other people in the in the chat gang up on me. It's almost like I said something political or something. Or something. Yeah. So. So, hey, remember the Marvel Unlimited thing? Yes. Well, what do we call this now? The MU read-through. The MU read-through. Now, what Scott and I are doing here is we're going to pick some story arcs. People, and I get emails a lot, Scott, that say... Hey, I've I've picked up the Marvel Unlimited app. Where would you suggest I start? Where you know, yes. and so this is this is one way that maybe you'll we'll talk about some stuff where you say, Hey, I might start there. And what we're gonna do every now and again is we're gonna get together and we're gonna take a story arc um from Marvel Comics. It's available on the Marvel Unlimited app. And um we're going to discuss it. We're gonna read it beforehand, of course, not on the air. And and we're gonna discuss it. Um, in this case, on this particular episode, we're doing the all-new, all-daring, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, issues 107 to 110. This is the, the, the introduction of the Sin Eater. Yes. Written by Peter David, of all people. Peter David, one of the great comic book writers of all time, in my estimation. I don't disagree with you. And the scary thing about Peter David is not only does he write exceedingly well, but he writes a lot. Yes, he's very prolific, as it were. Yes, churns out novels and novels and novels and comics and comics and comics, and so much of it is so good. You just sit back and go, how, how is this possible that this guy can produce this volume of consistently great stuff? It, it's a, And he also has such a way of, for example, this story arc, Scott, is not one that I would have said, ever, let's read and do this. Oh. <laughs> not, and, I, and, I, and what I'm saying is, is it just wouldn't have been on my radar. I wouldn't have thought about it as one. Um, but when I'm reading it, I, I'm just so into it because one of the things that he does so well is is he he really gives you character. Yes. Without breaking down a character or deconstructing a character, he just he plays into the strengths and weaknesses that are already established in that character, and sometimes he expands on those. You know, and and he just and he really explores the character as is. And in this case, what we really have is an exploration into, uh, you know, it. They, they, he puts Peter Parker through the ringer in in such a way that Spider Man almost takes a back seat in this. And we have to see. And Spider Man has to 
take action in a way that he never has in this story arc. He becomes he tries to become a detective more yeah. so than just a vigilante crime fighter. And let's also remember that not only does he do all of that, but he does it with a villain who does not have a superpower. That's right. That's right. Sin Eater is totally not superpowered, but yet vexes, menaces. Uh, you, uh, In fact, he is probably one of the more frightening villains I've ever dealt with in the Marvel Universe. Because he's somebody, you know, you can relate to the danger that, that somebody like a Sin Eater poses. Yes, because this man, what the Sin Eater is, is basically the Punisher, only not punishing the right people, <laughs> so to speak. Yes, exactly. Well, how do, you, how do you want to run through this? Do you want to summarize it? What do you want to do? Um, we can summarize issue to issue, I guess. Okay. Would be that. So we start in issue number 107. Now, here's my question about this. Is this pre-symbiote? Like no, it's post. It's so, post. So it's, he's it's gotten after. rid of he's gotten rid of the symbiote, and now yep. he's in just his black costume because he liked the yeah. look of it. Okay. Because black, I think Black Cat made it for him. Okay. If my memory serves me correctly. <laughs> she dug the black suit, and once he was done with it, I think she had it made for him. Mm-hmm. So, so this is not. So we're not dealing with a Peter whose whose aggressions are enhanced. You know, whose strength is enhanced, you know, because when he was the black, when he had the symbiote, like he got, he was a lot more aggressive. He'd get angry and give into his anger a lot more. So we start out in Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man number 107. And Scott, right off the bat, this is the thing. Peter David gives us the history. Like we get invested in the character of Gene DeWolf. If you've never read a comic with Gene DeWolf in it, yeah, within two pages, you're invested in this character. And then you realize that that two pages of kind of the history of Jean DeWolf and who she is is actually her life flashing before her eyes. Oh, my gosh. That's amazingly done. Yeah. It is so well done. And she's dead, Mr. Coach Klein. Yeah. Uh, Jean DeWolf has is, is, is been found um, by, by some cops, murdered, brutally murdered, apparently. And um, and that's how we kick off this whole story with the death of this police officer, Gene DeWolf. And I'll tell you, it was a shock to me when I first got this, when it first came out, because uh, they'd spent the last several years as, you know, Spider-Man's always been, had a little bit of an antagonistic relationship with the police. Thanks to J. Jonah Jameson. And well, yeah, but uh, Gene DeWolf came around and she was not only somebody, you know, she was harsh to him, but it was one of those where you kind of wink and a nod and you knew she knew he was okay and she treated him well, but she wouldn't say she was treating him well. You know, she wouldn't express how she actually felt. Mm -hmm. And there was almost a little flirtatious thing going on between them. You, you always kind of got the feeling, at least I always did, got the feeling that at some point they might wind up as a couple. And then for this thing to open with her death and she had become a regular character in Spectacular Spider-Man, it was a shock. I couldn't believe they had done that. I couldn't believe they'd gone that far. And, you know, with, with comics, you always said, well, somebody's dead. They're never coming back. Or they're going to come back. You know that in six to 18 months. Uh, but she's not a superpowered character. And plus, we hadn't set that template yet. I mean, Phoenix, Phoenix hadn't even come back yet at that point. Well, and not only that, in Spider-Man's life, a lot of times those who have died don't, at this point, Yeah. it wasn't until, like, the Clone Saga junk that anyone did come back. You know, and but by and large, in Spider-Man's life, if you're dead, you stay dead. Yeah, very much so. And very and, much. and the most Spider-Man action we get is him roughing up some muggers um, that attacked an old man that boards with Aunt May. Yep. Because uh, Aunt May has turned her home into like a boarding house for some seniors. 
And yep. and so he he stops the mugging, and when the police show up, they let him know about Gene DeWolf. Yeah. And 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 they say of who who did he says who did it, and they say of them, we don't know yet. Whoever does this kind of stuff, some godless sicko. Which of course we've just gotten a scene from before that of a guy, a guy we don't know visiting a priest. So right. He's not quite as godless as we as we thought. Well, and that's the, and that's the thing. That's another thread that runs through this whole story is this idea of of religion and and and, and things like it, it. There's a there's a theme going through, and and it's part of what is going on in the sin eater's head. You know, he's he's called the sin eater for crying out loud. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. So we we actually right after they tell him that that's when we cut to the uh, to the church to the man going into confession. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, I'm thumbing through here. <laughs> and uh, and everyone is shaking up like this the Gene DeWolf's death, you know, affects everyone. You get like two you get a page and a half uh or more of Jonah and Robbie just talking about Jonah Jameson and Robbie Robertson talking about this death and then here comes this uh, he's a pastor, but he's also a political activist kind of guy, I guess. You know, he's wearing the old collar like a priest, but he is, um, you know, he's definitely a, he's a, he's a Jesse Jackson type, it seems like. Yeah, I'd say so. He's coming to, st to stir some stuff up. So, um, and so Spidey actually goes to, to the police department to offer his help to help yep. find the killer. And this is something again, like you mentioned, Spidey's he's not had a great relationship with the cops. Oh no. And uh and so to go to them to, to ask to help out is a big deal. And so he ends up meeting up with what's the guy's name? Um Detective Carter. Probably probably wind, winds up with Stan Carter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh <laughs> Stan Carter's working it and uh he winds up winds up pouncing on Stan Carter's car and uh offers his help. Stan Carter will not talk to him unless he gets in the car with him. And so now Spidey's riding down the road sipping on coffee. Yeah. <laughs> and then Daredevil comes into play. And um and and Daredevil is getting to court, of course. And that's what I love about this thing is that Daredevil's just getting to court. Like yeah. he's using his powers to get to court. You gotta get there somehow. Yeah, you can pay for a cab, or you can get your, you know, your morning workout. And unfortunately, he is defending the. He's the public defender of the guys who who mugged the old man. Yeah, I think that's Mr. Popchick, isn't it? You're Mr. Popchick, yeah. And so, so Peter's there in court, and he runs into Matt Murdock. Matt Murdock hears his heartbeat and recognizes that he's Spider Man. So then Matt Murdock's talking to uh, the judge back in his Just chambers. Do yeah. what's that? Yeah, because they they go way they go ways back or it's something. Law school, yeah. Yeah, and here comes the sin eater and basically kills the judge right in front of Matt Murdock. But Matt Murdock's blind, so he could hear the guy's heartbeat, but he can't see him and identify him. Yep. And that's how that's how we round out old episode or issue rather. 107 and and it's just a great setup for this whole mystery thing because 
because you start with the death of Gene DeWolf, you end with the reveal of the Sin Eater in his purple shirt and green ski mask, you know. And in between, you get all the players set up. I mean, they set up that Daredevil's going to be part of this thing. Of course, Spider-Man, Detective Carter. And it's just a classic long game storytelling from Peter David. He knew, Peter David just knows how to write these stories so that you get sucked into these characters Mm -hmm. and you care about these characters. I find it interesting that yet another Spider-Man villain, even though he's a powerless Spider-Man villain, he's another Spider-Man villain with purple and green oh yeah wow i hadn't thought about that <laughs> and so again it's you know That's the so greatest true. menaces seems to face are dressed in purple and green somehow and this is yet another one of those i also uh, appreciate the fact that you know this is this was a time period where guys our age weren't the guys predominantly reading comics it was guys our age at the time that were predominantly reading comics and even so there's a lot of interesting play into moral ambiguity Mm -hmm. you know uh, matt murdoch is defending these guys that he knows did something wrong uh he's having to do it as he says pro bono pro bono means for the good of the people but i'm not so sure it is um you know they're just they're just there are a lot of heavy themes and ideas in here plus he introduces so many characters in here that are all interesting and all have a background and all kind of become a suspect at some point well, and once again, you know, with the with the judge that Matt Murdock's talking to, like you get this history between this guy, like, oh, they're friends, they're going to work this thing out. No, he's dead. Yeah. yeah, he is. He is blown away. Kind of what they did to, uh, kind of what they did to, to Gene DeWolf. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and that's and I think that's one of the and that's one of the geniuses of Peter David's writing is he's able to bring you into this stuff and bring you into these characters, and this is not. <clears throat> Scott, it's like you said, you know, we're not dealing with a super-powered villain or anything. You know, this is not your typical amazing, amazing Spider-Man adventure. You know, and usually the web of Spider-Man is the comic that when it first started was kind of dealing with the entanglements of Peter's personal life and everything. Mm-hmm. And Spectacular was, I don't know, I always felt like Spectacular kind of struggled for its identity. But, it, but I guess a lot of times I remember a lot of more of the street-level characters being in Spectacular Spider-Man. Um, it was it was more where Kingpin wound up going. Right, the, where Kingpin and Tombstone and Hammerhead and crime figures, yeah. Yeah. A lot of those crime guys. So and this was I don't know if you've done any research on this. This was actually Peter David's second ever comic story. Oh, I didn't realize that at all. Yeah. And and he was given the new job of you're gonna be the regular writer on Spider Man, but what we want to do is we want to take it down to a gritty level. We want to make it the grittier comic. We want to make it more street level and dirty. This that was his instructions. And so Peter David said, "I will kill Gene DeWolf." No, they told him the first thing you're going to do is kill Gene DeWolf. They mm. told him to kill Gene DeWolf. Wow. And so yeah, I mean this wasn't this was again and I, one of the things I think Peter David does really well is he can take somebody can hand him something and he can make something out of it. It doesn't have to necessarily be this is mine and I came with it completely by myself. They can hand him an assignment say here do this and he can do it just as well as if it were his original idea the only time i've known and i remember peter david remotely getting that way creatively was after 13 years on the hulk and it was on the tail end of all the heroes reborn and heroes return stuff they want to do this huge crossover mm-hmm. and um and and the hulk was going to play in and it was going to completely just he was going to have to scrap and change a lot of things that he'd set up for that character. And, and rather than do that, he left the book. 
Wow. And uh, and man, I remember him leaving. I'm like, what are they going to do now? And the Hulk squandered. I mean, it floundered for a little while mm-hmm. to find it. And I don't know that it ever quite found its footing again. There was a short run with um, Bruce Jenkins. Is that the guy's name? Bruce. Um, uh, no, it wasn't Jenkins. It was Bruce. Uh, Bruce Jones. Bruce Jones. Jones. There was a, there was a run there with him that you know got some steam and and it got but it but it drug out a little too long. It wasn't it just wasn't the quality of writing of Peter David, who knew. I mean, the man knows how to write comic books. Yes. And um, and so, and and that first and that first issue, you know, of the death of Gene DeWolf. It wasn't even called the Sin Eater story arc. It was called the death of Gene DeWolf. Yeah. Um you know, just really set up this whole thing well. And so that was original sin. Then you get to 108. It's the sin of pride is the story title. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Charles Bronson makes a cameo. Yes, he does. <laughs> I made note of that. In fact, a couple of people make a cameo. I realize in this issue, uh, because it, at some point you realize that, uh, I guess rich Buckler is rich Buckler. The artist on this. Is that right? Oh, let me find the, let me find the title page real quick. I'm thinking it's in a weird spot in this one. I think it's it's the last. It's like a black panel at the end, is what it is. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, Rich Buckler's the penciler, and Rich Buckler goes to a few real life inspirations. In fact, uh, the more you see Stan Carter in this series, you realize he is also based on a real life person. I'll see if you get this. Oh, I've not I've not paid attention to know that he. Watch him and watch some of the illustrations of him as time goes on and you'll see it okay so this so this issue opens up with a flashback again another flashback mm-hmm. and another character moment and this is when uh, matt murdoch is in law school and he challenges this judge who at the time is a professor or he, i guess he's a judge at the time as well but he's, he's lecturing at college and and matt challenges him and and uh you know it, it's powerful because it shows how smart matt is but it also shows this bonding of these two men where you know they have this shared intellect and the shared love of justice and the law. And then you cut to guess what? The judge is dead. And mm. we remember now that he was killed right in front of Matt Murdock, his old friend. Yeah. Cause you know, back in the day, this was a month later. Yeah. Yeah. You got to do a little bit of a recap for that. Mm-hmm. And, um, Oh yeah. Face down on the floor. Sin eaters killed him. And now sin eaters on the loose and everyone's just shocked that someone shot a judge. And, and that seems to be the, the, the big thing and of course Murdoch can't do anything because he can't reveal that he's daredevil to everybody correct and uh wouldn't you know it Peter and Mr. Popchick and Aunt May are all walking home on the street and here comes the sin eater right out into the middle of everybody yeah going crazy and um and so Peter somehow gets away he acts like he's getting separated from Aunt May and Mr. Popchick and that gives him time to go put on the Spider-Man suit and have his first confrontation with the Sin Eater. But as always, when Spider-Man's facing a new villain, the first confrontation doesn't go well. But in this sense, it isn't that he's beaten. It's that Sin Eater's doing his business with a shotgun, a double barrel shotgun. And so when Sin Eater starts unloading on, you know, trying to hit Spider-Man, Spider-Man can avoid this because he's got spider sense. But the problem is that shot scatters into the crowd and he's taken out innocent people in the crowd. This is, again, what I marvel about with this is this is nobody did this with Spider-Man back in the day. Nobody right. addressed anything like this. Yep. And and of course, that you know, that gets Spider-Man way off his game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Sin Eater is able to kind of kick him around a little bit. Yep. And and he he almost 
kills Spider-Man, <laughs> you know, but Spider-Man is able to get the drop on him. And, but Sin Eater, I don't know. Like, the only question you have here is why didn't Spider-Man's spider sense go off? And it was that it was so, you know, the only thing you can think is he'd gotten beat in the head so many times just then. And he was very distracted because he was really, like you say, he was off his game because the innocent people had just gotten shot because of him. That's exactly why Spider-Man does what he does is so innocent people won't be killed because of him anymore. I mean, that's, you know, Uncle Ben was killed because of him. And so now, you know, he's way off his game. And then uh, he gets the upper hand, as you say. But then he sees Aunt May down on the ground and it takes him off again, gives Sin Eater a chance to escape. And through all this, Sin Eater kind of gives you his, um, what he feels like his role is. His manifesto. Yeah, he gives his manifesto. And it kind of, and, and the last thing he tells Spider-Man is that, um, you know, because Spider-Man says, you're not, you know, where do you think you're going? He says, I absorb the world's sins. I'm going to hell or I'm going to Hades. I'll see you there. He gives him the Han Solo. I'll see you in hell. <laughs> um, <laughs> and of course, you know, Spider-Man, he can't web him up because his web shooters are broken in the fight. And, um, and so Sin Eater gets away. Yep. He can't even, he goes to yeah. tag him with a spider tracer, but the Sin Eater throws it off. And in typical Peter Parker, Spider-Man fashion, when he changes back to go help Aunt May, Popchick lets him have it because he disappeared when she needed him. Yeah. <laughs> Can't catch a break. And that's no. the thing about Peter Parker. He's never, he's a character who was, he's always kind of down on his luck and he still just keeps fighting to, you know, make it yeah. right, so to speak. Absolutely. Daredevil even comes after him as well, but we find out that uh, Sin Eater has gotten away on a bus. The bus, by the way, has a billboard on the side, an ad on the side. You see what it says? Cop shot, $10,000 reward. Offered, offered by the I, Daily Bugle. Yep, Daily Bugle is wrapped up in the Gene DeWolf murder. They want it solved. Right. So this is a big deal. I mean, the, the murder is definitely a big deal. Now the judge, and um, <laughs> I love the shot when the Sin Eater's on the bus kind of hanging on there, and there's that dude behind him who's got a really weird look. Yeah, and he's got his mask on. Yeah, <laughs> the bus. He's got his his collar up, so nobody can tell it's him. But he does have his mask on on the bus. So Spidey heads back to Stank uh, to Stank to Stan <laughs> Carter's place. Tony Stank. Tony Stank to Stan Carter's office and um. Oh, Stank Carter. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, to Stan Carter's <laughs> office. And he's confirming that, you know, hey, he's like Sin Eater's the man, you know? And um and then we find out that, you know, that <clears throat> that he he talks about Gene's badge on the guy's belt and the judge and he took the judge's gavel. And so not only is Sin Eater Sin Eater killing people, he's taking trophies. Taking trophies. Yeah. Yeah. This is such a I mean like and in nineteen when was this? Eighty this is probably 84, maybe 83 yeah. in, in 84, 83 in a kid's comic book, you weren't talking about serial killers. No. And this is the second one they've talked about because, uh, if you remember the, the priest that showed up in episode issue one was talking about a, a, a serial killer from back in the day. Right. Um, now panel three on this page on page, uh, 12 here, mm-hmm. look at Stan Carter there. Is anybody coming to mind? The one where he's got the phone up to his face yes. and cigarettes. Yes. Yes. I don't know. It kind of looks like a mix between Reed Richards and uh, uh, no. and well, Nick you'll Fury. Get 
you'll get it because it gets more obvious as it goes on. But okay. yeah, so he does sit down with Stan Carter and uh, they start talking. And turns out, did they mention that at this point or not? Let's see. Let's see. They talk about the witness. Uh, they talk about what a sin eater is. And then, yes, they do reveal it in this scene that uh, Stan Carter is former agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which is why he looks like he's got the Nick Fury look going. He's got the Nick Fury look, but if you look at panels three and six on page 14, okay, you'll start on, me... a little more of that artistic basis. On page 14. Panels. Well, no, my page 14 only has four panels. Page 14? Okay, that's 13. Sorry. 13. <laughs> Panels three and six. Dude, I don't know. I'm not seeing. Uh, Especially six. Like, I feel like I I know. I feel like I'm letting you down by not seeing what I'm seeing here. I know, because it's right there. His look is very much based on Peter Falk. (laughs) Oh, wow. You think so? Let me. Always the one eye kind of out of there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm telling you, it becomes. I I think so. One more thing. It's more plain. Okay, hold on. Let me see. Let me let me try something. Do you know how many dirty looks I get just from talking to you? (laughs) Gee, Spider-Man, I'm sorry. I hate to bother you, but uh, one more thing. What? Will you want to buy a watch? (laughs) (laughs) Oldest story in the world, my friend. So what does Bernie do? <laughs> he comes to you. He wants you to buy him out. What are you going to do? The kids are in college. So you sink, you sell the business to the, what do you say? You sell the cleaner for a song. And who do you sell it to? That jerk down the street. Hold on and a you second. you sink it all into the glass slipper, slipper business. Okay, hold and on. And then Kermit pulls a Luke Skywalker from The Last Jedi. It's amazing. Hold on here. How you doing, young fella? <laughs> uh, okay, I guess. Penny for your thoughts. Well, it's a long story. But a familiar one, I bet. Mm. Older than the hills. <laughs> I've been there, my friend. I've been there and back. Mm. You know, I see the way you're sitting here and... I see the way you got your hand around that little shoe, and that's all I need. I know your whole story. Hmm? You do? Absolutely. Here it is. I know exactly what happened to you. Exactly. What? Well, I tell you, friend, what happened was you and your brother-in-law, Bernie. Brother-in-law, Bernie? <laughs> you cashed in your stock certificates and your insurance policy, and you went out and bought a dry-cleaning establishment. Huh? <laughs> he looks now the camera. Now another place opens up down the street, and it's charging less. Kermit looks and right they're getting the, the stuff out faster because they got more help. It's not your fault. <laughs> your right? <laughs> All right, so Bernie comes to you. He says, I want you to buy me out. He says, he's fed up. <laughs> Well, you kids are growing up. You never see them. And all of a sudden, they're turning into juvenile delinquents, and your wife is saying to you, listen, you care more about this lousy business than you care about me. And the equipment breaks down. 
and your sister moves in with you because that jerk Bernie, he went and joined the circus. Well, you had it up he to here, right? He joined the circus. You didn't know what to do. So what did you do? <laughs> right? You did the only thing you could do. Huh? Yeah. You dumped the business for a song. And who did you sell it to? Who? You sold it to that jerk down the street, that slob that had been burying you for a year. Then you took whatever money you had left, and you sunk it into the glass slipper business. <laughs> That's your story, my friend. Not a happy one, is it? Hmm. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. You are 100% wrong. I mean, nothing you've said has been right. Oh, yeah? Well, how about this? Well, how about this? <laughs> I, I hate to be rude, but uh, we're, we're trying to do a movie here. Oh, yeah? Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Gee, I'm sorry. Listen, one thing, uh, son. Would you like to buy a watch? Uh, 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 no. <laughs> movie stars. Movie stars. <laughs> tell you that has over the years become my absolute favorite muppet movie it is a it is fantastic there's so much greatness in there that it's just that that movie was overlooked when it came out it was for um, most of, I, you know what i think i agree with you it, it really to me it's the it's the strongest of even over the muppet movie i think it's it's that's the one it always fought with me over but mm -hmm. i i just over the years just the more it because it's so much more anarchic yes you know, well, there's just, that moment. I'm telling you, there's that one shot where he's telling, and Kermit just kind of looks at the camera, and you can just see on his face, like, what's going on right now? <laughs> Kermit looks right at camera. He's, he's in pain. <laughs> and I mean, he's shaking his head. <laughs> and he says, well, you couldn't do anything. Mm -mm. You know? <laughs> this is the movie that had the line, look, Dad, a bear. No, Christine, that's a frog. Bears wear hats. Yes, yes. Identical twins take over the chronicle. Join the chronicle staff. You, you two don't even look alike. It's oh, the hat. Take off the hat, Fozzie. Because Fozzie's wearing his hat. Oh, yeah, I see it now. <laughs> it is It is so quintessential Muppets that it just yeah. it's, it's maybe. But oh, Anyhow, sorry. So these but now, Stare at that one panel of him while you were the monologue was happening. I should have, but I didn't. I was too busy watching Kermit. <laughs> he does draw the one eye in shadow a lot, though, by the way. Yeah. 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 I'm telling you. I'm telling you. that is He's basing it on Peter Falk. Mm. We have uh, we have Charles Bronson and Peter Falk in here. So, <clears throat> after, <laughs> after we've talked to Spider-Man and Stan Carter, we get back yes. to this priest who's yep. taking confession from this guy who seems really nervous yes, and, and who's hearing voices. So I think that's to lead us to believe that this guy's the sin eater. Yeah. Well, the voices are saying terrible things to him mm -hmm. and then um, they cut away. Right. You don't see what else happens. There. Right. They cut away to Spidey swinging through and thinking as he always does. And Spider-Man was always great for exposition, man. Yep. Like the conversations he'd have with himself and stuff. And I think that I learned to talk to myself because <laughs> of reading Spider-Man comics. How many kids did? And I was like, look, man, I'm not getting naked for anyone, okay? I don't care if it is art. <laughs> uh, 
Who's you can't even sing your voice. No, 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 no. Oh, no, no. Oh, no, no. Oh, man. Um, so Spider Man is going through Gene's stuff, and 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 it's kind of a kind of a touching moment because he's going to her house he's going to her apartment to look for clues and he finds just an envelope filled with spider-man clippings mm-hmm. and liked him all this time yeah and she realized that he liked him or he realized that she liked she liked him that's what i'm saying oh, okay. that she <laughs> liked him she realized he realized that she liked him yep and and i feel like he goes a little overboard like why didn't she say anything if she felt something yeah but um course we find out even more in uh a year or so a couple of years in the return of the sin eater yes yeah but there's more to that later which mm. i think is great but we'll get into that later well i mean we get to go to the funeral and everything like yeah. this uh, you know this comic this whole story arc it moves it doesn't feel like to me when i was reading it didn't feel like it was moving slow no but it but it also doesn't it doesn't shortchange any moment that you need to kind of get an emotional impact of stuff. Yep. And so much of comics today where it's all paced for the trade and there's every story, six, seven issues and whatever. Uh, it seems like, uh, this is not a lot of those paced for the trade things really skip over a lot of things. Yeah. And And this is, and this is only four issues. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a, I, I don't think that, I don't know that writers are, are using, their story time economically. I agree. You know, it began with the ultimate Spider-Man stuff with, um, with Bendis and you would, you know, he did, Bendis was great at cliffhangers. And, and yes, but when he comes, when he comes to the next part of the cliffhanger, he usually does a massive time jump. Exactly. exactly. And he never picks up where he left off. He was always, he was always just, really good at cliffhangers, but not good yeah. at resolutions. No, it says, yeah, with Bendis, a lot of times I want to yell, he didn't get out of the cock duty car. <laughs> So, it just you never get to do that. I'm sorry. I don't. I feel like you were referencing something. I don't know what it was, but I just love the. I love. I don't know the, that one. Oh, I love the passion with which you said cockatoo car. You don't know that one. What is that uh, from? That's misery. Oh, no. You know what? I've never. I haven't. I've not oh, watched no. misery. No, I never read or watched it. Yeah. All right, Arish. That's Eris's job. I can't. I'm. I'm MU read through. I can't. I, I can't help with that one. All right. But Eris now, Eris, you got to get him through victory, which there is. You know, as much as you're gushing about Rocky, there is zero reason to have not watched Victory at this point. What is Victory? Victory. Uh, Eris and I laid into you about this one day. I don't remember. Uh, it, it's it's uh, it's Stallone and Michael Caine, and uh, a whole a Pele. And they're they're prisoners of war, and uh, Max von Sydow, and they're they're prisoners of war. What is Pele doing in a prisoner of war movie? Well, because what happens is the Germans challenge the prisoners to a soccer match, mm. and then the uh, is the this under- the long is this the longest yard with soccer? No, no. The, here's the thing: the, the Germans challenge the prisoners to a soccer match, and then they try to turn it into a propaganda spectacle, and then in standard Rocky fashion, the underground turns it into a chance to escape. And so they're gonna they're gonna help everybody escape at halftime. But Stallone's like, no, we can win this. <laughs> so they don't escape. They go back out and play the second half. So rather than escape as a POW, he's like, let's yes. go play soccer. Yeah, we can win this game. Yeah, they go back to win. 
I'm, I got to watch this movie. It's just such a great movie. Now that you tell me about it, I remember you guys getting on me about it. Yes. So there's that, and then uh, you got to watch Misery. Yeah. Ah, I can't believe it. Erish, man, you let me down. So um, at the cemetery, at the funeral, mm-hmm. um, Jean's mom freaks out on her basically stepdad because we're told in the in the story uh, leading into her life that it's her stepdad that kind of got her into the force and everything. Wasn't it their stepdad? I have to go yeah. Back. yeah, yeah, it was. And so, so her mom's angry, and um, and Matt. Meanwhile, Matt Murdock's at the uh, at the judge's funeral. They're both these funerals are happening concurrently, concurrently in the cemetery. And Matt gets a gets a whiff via the heartbeat of the Sin Eater. Yeah. But there are too many people to pinpoint where he's at. Sin Eater is there somewhere. And he can't find him. Right. But guess who else is there? Jonah's there. Robbie's there. Robbie's there. All the cops are there. Um Yeah, there's there's tons of there's the uh the, that preacher dude is there. Reverend mm. Reverend Jackson Tolliver is his name. Yeah. Um and uh and Stan Carter makes a joke at one point when he sees him. He says, I wonder if Senior does requests. Ooh. That's rough. That is rough. That's a rough joke. But again, you know, there's that level of grit and both nuance. You know, when you're a kid reading that, that's heavy hitting stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Matt Murdock basically is trying to flag everybody down. Hey, Sin Eater's here somewhere, and everybody takes off. Yeah. So <clears throat> after the funeral, you know, Peter's determined again. They, we get back to that confessional. Mm-hmm. And this time the Sin Eater's in the confession. It's definitely him. Yep, got the mask on. And just like the previous episode or the previous issue, um, it ends with Senator blowing someone away, and this time it's this priest, Jackson Tolliver. No, that wasn't Jackson Tolliver. Oh, that's not Tolliver. Okay. Mm-mm. No, that's the priest from the he's priest a, with a confessional earlier. Yeah, yeah. he's a, he's I one of the good guys. Good. Yeah, he's one of the good guys. This guy's older. You're right. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. So, so we've killed a cop, a judge, and a priest, and we're calling ourselves the Sin Eater. Yeah, it was, it was Reverend Bernard Finn who mm-hmm. was killed. As we find out in the next episode, He Who Was Without Sin. Yep. Or next episode, next issue. I know, I keep wanting to call him that too. And and again, we we haven't got... I mean, we had a Spider-Man fight, Sin Eater, in that, in that issue and everything. And we saw Spider-Man beat up some muggers. But we haven't had a lot of like what you would consider Spider-Man action. No. In, in the story arc. And, and, and I think I'm, I'm like you, I think that's some of the genius of Peter David with this whole, with this whole story arc is that we don't get bogged down in that, that he does focus in on the characters and we focus in on, on what's going on. And we focus in on, um, how this stuff is affecting everybody. And, um, and somewhere in there, like Marla Jameson and Betty Brandt end up like going into hiding because yeah. is, is this guy going after J. Jonah Jameson? Is that what's happening? Yeah, there's there's talk that he may. I mean, you know, they they uh, they're looking at all the different people he's kind of gone after, and and it, you know, they're the speculation is who will be the next one, and everybody's kind of well, you know, and jo- James, remember Jameson has taken the lead on the 
Gene DeWolf killing and offering the $10,000 reward mm. for the killer. Yeah. So uh, obviously he is somebody who could be part of it. Well, and also with this, we see um, through this montage of like the news and everything and watching everybody watch the news, we see that dude who was at the confessional. You know, his hands are his hands are over his face, and he's just sitting there over a bowl of something, and he's just, you know, it's that dude like I, who I guess we're led to believe is the sin eater. That would appear to be the case. He certainly is the guy who was in the confessional the first time, and now we see him again. And he's hearing voices, and so that would certainly appear to be the case. And we also have Jackson Tolliver on TV, watching himself on TV, and cheering himself on. Right. Which is great. <laughs> he, is, he is, in fact, quoting himself on TV, which tells you kind of what he's in it for. But then Santa breaks into somebody's house. <laughs> Santa does break into somebody's house. And that's just kind of out of the blue to me, but they're talking about yeah. these burglaries that are going on. Yep. But it's also, it's creepy. Yeah. Because someone's acting yeah. like Santa Claus. But we get away from that to, to a scene with the kingpin. So we do get to see a Spidey, you know, villain. I always considered the kingpin a Spidey villain. Yes, absolutely. I, I know he's, he's entangled with Daredevil these days, but, I mean, his origin was in Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. You know, he first showed up in Spider-Man, just like Punisher. You know, he, right. was, he, he originally well, was a Spider-Man guy. I go by who was on the old, really, the cartoon out of the 60s. I think I remember the Kingpin being on that cartoon. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't remember far back. Wow. Um, well, I wasn't in the 60s, but, I mean, I'd see it in reruns as a kid, like in the 80s or whatever. Yeah. I just didn't pay much attention to the 60s cartoon. Mm -hmm. I was more of an Amazing Friends. Well, me watching. too, but I'm just saying this would come on sometimes in up in North Georgia during the week, and, mm -hmm. and I just remember watching it and... I mean, it was superheroes, and I love superheroes. Yeah. So. But Kingpin's in jail. He's doing business. No, he's, he's, I guess he's not in jail. No, he's he? not in jail. He's got his guards and everything. He No, he's up in his penthouse. You're right. You're right. And he's he, taking dictation to apparently one of the longtime Marvel staffers, Carol Kalish. Right. And he also um, shoots at Spider-Man with his little cane gun. Yep. It's just, it's a really cool thing. Like, he's, Kingpin is unfazed by Spider-Man's sudden appearance. Mm-hmm. And, and exactly how he got in, which was beating up all the guards. Right. But he also tells Spider-Man, uh, when Spider-Man's leaving, he's like, Daredevil's already been here. You might learn some art and subtle, subtlety from him. He knocked <laughs> on the front door. Yeah. And then uh, you may leave now, Spider-Man. And by the way, I trust you will not find it necessary to render any more of my guards unconscious <laughs> on your way out. So... That's so this is where the team-up kind of starts to happen because Spider-Man's just a step or two behind Daredevil. Yep. And Matt Murdock is going to Josie's place, um, to the bar, Josie's bar, to ask around some of the Underworld people, and he's about to get, uh, yes. you know, all the drunk guys are going to pick on him, so he starts a big old bar brawl. And he, of course, yep. he's Matt Murdock, so he takes care of himself. Yep. Now let me ask you this. Does this remind you of, there's something this reminds me of. Mm, Superman 2? No, no. Uh, I was thinking more, you know, Batman has this secret identity. Not mm -hmm. Bruce Wayne, but that other identity. Oh, yeah, Matches. Yeah. Matches Malone. He goes undercover and goes mm -hmm. into the bars and interacts with the CD. And it kind of reminds me of that. Yeah. I can see that. I can see that. Going in as another, you know, trying to pretend to be another CD guy and it doesn't work out. And, uh, he gets into the fights. 
throwing the guy, and the bartender is doing the the wooer thing. No yeah, blasters, yeah. no blasters. Well, he's like, know? not in the window, not in the window. Yeah. No, don't do it in the window. And so Matt Murdock <laughs> obliges him. And but Spider Man comes crashing through the window. <laughs> comes crashing through the window. <laughs> There's Matt Murdock says, "Okay, I'll chuck this guy over here instead of the window," and all of a sudden, smash. There's the one panel um, where after right before Spider Man breaks through, it's the, it's on that page, and it's panel one. With the two guys, the one guy with the white tie and the black shirt and the striped, like he looks like some gangster out of an old, like Dick Tracy comic or something. Or, or the spirit, yeah. Yeah, he really does. <laughs> and I and I love. She's like, for once, nobody broke the window, and Spider-Man comes <laughs> crashing through. And again, Matt Murdock went in the front door. Yes. Spider-Man comes smashing in. Nobody move. Mm-hmm. And starts smacking people around. And uh, and then of course they cut to a montage, a yeah. montage, a montage with a voiceover. Yeah. You know, Spider Man's leaving a leaving a uh, a message for Stan Carter. Stan Carter, yes. And um, and he ends up going to see who is that dude he goes to see? Some bad guy. Um. Oh, let's see. He's basically a drug dealer, underworld scum yeah. dude, and. So Spider-Man goes and takes him out. Gerald Jablonski. Yeah. And so Spidey takes him out to go eat in public and basically assures the guy's going to be in trouble with the rest of the underworld if he doesn't get some witness protection. Yeah, I'll just leave you here with all these thugs and let everybody know it's you. I mean, look, this is that's the thing about this, and this is one thing, like this whole Sin Eater thing has gotten in Spider-Man's head just about more than any other supervillain ever. Save maybe some Green Goblin stuff, mm-hmm. you know, but like this is really, and you also get to see like when you see him coming to da- to Kingpin right after Daredevil and smashing through the window to do his thing. You also see that Spider-Man doesn't have the finesse of a detective or a, you know, like Spider-Man is very much a reactive hero. Yeah. And, and, and he doesn't know how to do this job. And no, so there's he's, a lot of emotionality. There's a lot of yeah. reaction instead of, as you say. Uh, planning, thinking things through, you know, then executing that plan. He just reacts and does things. And and unfortunately, far too often, violence is his first recourse. Well, that's a recurring theme there. Right. No, no, I, I was, I was bumping ahead now to see where we're at. I, I like, that's the thing. I agree with you. And, it, and it's just, it's so, it's, it's something like you really feel off kilter along with Spider-Man through this yeah. story. I mean, and that's one of the things, again, I just go back to Peter David's writing on character and everything. Mm-hmm. St. Eater shows up at the Daily Bugle. He's after Jameson for sure. But Jameson's out of town. Uh, Spider-Man throws at kids. He uses a typewriter. Yeah. He, I guess everyone would have been screwed if it were modern day in the Bugle. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to hit him with a mouse. Um, but it's... And so the Sin Eater is that dude we see. He's the dude that um, has been confessing about the voices and everything. That's right. They knock him out, take his mask off. There mm-hmm. he is. And he confesses. Yeah. I did it. Oh. I, was, I heard these voices in the night. I couldn't resist it. I had to do it. Mr. Greg is his name. He says he doesn't remember doing it, <clears throat> but, you know, this is that. He said people must. He said people died, so it must have been me, right? Yeah, yeah, because he heard the voices telling him to do it, and right. then he didn't remember anything. So Daredevil shows up, but Daredevil's got a problem here. Daredevil has heard the Sin Eater's heartbeat, mm-hmm. 
and says, this is not him. And so, yeah, and he can't, and it's so funny because he can't explain why, you know. Um, and, and he's like, just trust me, you know. And, and so Spider-Man trusts him. Yep. And, and like I say, thus begins kind of the team-up that you would think, but rather than the team-up in classic Marvel style, they're kind of at each other's throats. Yep. And they all but fight one another. Yeah, well, they go to uh, Mr. Gregg's apartment to check it out. That's right. Yeah. But, but they get to a different apartment. Let me, hold on, i got to remember the, the order of events here because it's kind of crazy. Because they realize that they go to the Sin Eater's apartment and 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 yep. and Mr. Greg's bed is on the other side of the closet that the Sin Eater stuff is in. Yeah, well, they go. There's a uh, there's a door to the apartment next door, like a lock off, is what they call okay, it. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, and so they the lock off has been opened, and they they go through the lock off into an apartment the next door, and that's where they find the Sin Eater stuff in the closet, and then they look at the mail and realize. It's old Stan Carter. That's right. The apartment belongs to Stan Carter, former agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm -hmm. Stan Carter. And so the voices Mr. Greg was hearing was Stan Carter doing his own diatribes. Yeah. I mean, what a great little, I mean, what a great red herring. Yes. You know, and, and, and to, to do that. And then suddenly, boom, here's the big, I've been driving around with this guy. I've been trusting this guy. I've been feeding this guy all the information, you know? And, um, and so now it's, now it's that race. Like, and again, so many times I think of, and Peter David's really good at this because I think of this as a movie. Like now we get into the act where our friends are still in danger. We have to get to them before the bad guy does. Yep. You know, now we have to get there. We know where he's headed and we've got to get there. And, um, and, and they know that, that, uh, Betty is staying with Marla at Jameson's place while he's out of town. Right. And he's concerned now because he knows Sin Eater's after Jameson. He thinks he's going to go to his house. And what a great moment where she's on the phone. He's called her. She's on the phone. And it just goes to a close-up of the eye on the one panel. And then you go to the next panel and it pulls away. And she's there in a chair. And on the other side of the desk, there's the Sin Eater sitting there with a sawed-off shotgun. Yep, and as with every episode, it ends with a shotgun blast. Mm, it does. Spider-Man's on the phone with her, telling her to get out of the house. The and, calls are coming from inside the house! And here's the thing. Betty Brant is a main character, but she's one that you could see getting killed off, especially after the death of Gene DeWolf so suddenly. Yep. And, and he blasts right through the chair she's sitting in, and you see that chair just shredded. And you see the phone go flying off. Mm-hmm. And that leads us into our final issue of this yep. story arc, and that's issue 110 of Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. And I love how the cover is Spider-Man battles Daredevil in this issue. Yeah. <laughs> and, so in cla- and so you're like, oh, okay, so the Marvel style is we're going to fight. Yeah. And, um, and so we open up again with another flashback. Yep. And it's Peter remembering how he met Betty and got to know Betty Brant and everything. Yep. And it's all done with Steve Ditko panels. Oh, that's so true. That's right. Yes. That's great. Or if it's not actual Ditko panels, it's certainly reproductions of Ditko's art. Yes, I think it, yeah, it's it's one or the other. So then we get to the big splash panel and it's all my sins remembered. 
there is a chair. There's a hole right through the chair. But yep. Betty Brant has made it up under the desk. Yep. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Last instant. And so he he says it's the first time he's missed. The Lord's hand must have guided me, guided you to seek cover. Yeah. And he says, uh, rise, my child. You're obviously not the center of J. Jonah Jameson. I mean, he could not tell that before he shot. Well, I, I mean, that's just how crazy he is. I guess so. And the he's going to and he's going to let her live, and then he's yeah. like, "Well, you work for him, so I'm going to leave a message, and it's going to be you." And so now he's going to kill her. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, and he, and then he gets into all this stuff, and this is where it gets kind of chilling. She says, "Why me?" And and he says, "You, you're nothing. I wanted Jameson because he opposes mask vigilantes. I killed the priest because he opposed capital punishment." I killed the judge because he coddled criminals. And I killed Gene DeWolf because I felt like it. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And he calls her a slut when she stabs him. I mean, that that was a shocking word to me when I was reading this. I'm like, was this? Yeah. Wasn't this comic? Yeah, this is code approved. That's crazy. Well, here comes Spider-Man crashing through the window. Again. Just the right time, though. And, but the sensor's got to reload, so that has gives, Spidey chance to web him up. Right. And um, and so now, now Spider-Man's going to be able... He's he's in a better position now yeah. to be able to handle things. And he beats the ever-living crap out of Stan Carter. Totally lets his emotions take over. Because yep. not, only, not only did he just almost kill Betty, who does mean a lot to him. I mean, remember, mm-hmm. Betty was a love interest. Yes, yes. Early on. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, he's he's just had to save Betty, and Gene DeWolf is dead, and it's this guy that he trusted. Yeah, and, and he, says, he says, you were laughing at me all along, right, Carter? Acted like I was a friend when it was all a sick joke. And uh, and then he begins to, and then another flashback. It's the quiet, unobvious nuts that you have to watch. Like, he but hang on, before he does that, there is this great line where Stan says, I'm sorry. And he says, sorry, don't give me sorry. Tell it to the judge mm-hmm. or to the priest. You know, tell it to the right. judge is a common phrase. Right, but or to the priest. He literally means the judge, and mm-hmm. he literally means the priest. And then he says, or better yet, tell it to Gene DeWolf. Yeah. So Daredevil gets there to stop. This is why Daredevil and Spider-Man fight, because Spider-Man is going to kill Stan Carter. And Daredevil shows up and stops him because he wants justice to have its way. Yep. And and so now he and Spidey are going to have their little tussle. And um and they fight. <laughs> and Daredevil kind of handles him a little bit. Yeah. But that's when the word starts to get out. The TV crews start to show up at Jameson's house, mm-hmm. start to interview Betty, and they, on the news, identify Stan Carter as right. the Sin Eater. And I guess I've been calling her Betty Brand. I guess at this point she's Betty Leeds. Yeah, yeah she's married to Ned. She's at this married point. to old yeah. Ned. Um, Who's got issues of his own. And so we go. We go through this. And once again, we get to this. Santa, does this Santa Claus thing doesn't have anything to do with the Sin Eater stuff, does it? I don't think so. I'm trying to remember now. Oh no, the Santa Santa was just I think a red herring because basically Santa 
the girl let Santa into the the thing in the previous issue, and then at this point she says, you know, she's thinking, boy, she's excited for her dad because Santa has promised that he's going to bring a really big TV for Christmas. All she had to do was trade him their little one. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> but, their TV. but here's the thing: what happens in with Peter David is is he will drop little things like this, these little interludes. And yeah. they'll end up being something down the road, and I yes. haven't read past this to know, you know, if it, what that turned into for, for Spider-Man and company. Um, yeah. So there's this whole hearing and everything, and of course everyone's there, and you know, it's a huge news thing. Um, and um, and yes. and and so. I know I'm skipping a lot of little details here, but they go through all the hearing and everything and, and people's reactions to what was going on. And everyone's mad. Of course, now Mr. Popchick almost shoots some gang members. Well, that's the thing is that everything kind of becomes boilerplate. And Popchick has been through what he's been through. He was attacked and the right. kids got off. Matt Murdock got the kids off. And so he's on the subway and some of the kids get, you know, more kids get threatening with him. And he shoots them. So Popchick pulls out a gun and shoots him. Now mm-hmm. this is obviously inspired contemporarily of uh, with by Bernard Getz. Mm-hmm. You remember Bernard Getz? I remember the, the sub- name. Subway vigilante in New York, where okay, those yeah. kids harassed him, and he and he shot him. Right. I think one of them attacked him with a screwdriver or something. He turned around and shot him. Well, but uh, that that was a big deal, and that was you know th- that was the era where Death Wish was you know they were making Death Wish sequels at that right, point. I think right. Death Wish was like seventy four, but. Um, you know, they're making Death Wish sequels. Vigilantes kind of became a thing. Mm-hmm. And so Ernie Popchick is kind of Bernard Getz here. Where he shoots the kids that go after him and then takes off. Right. And so then we get to where they're trying to move Stan Carter. We get his origin that yep. in S.H.I.E.L.D. he'd been subjected to some experiments to enhance his strength and stuff. And mm-hmm. and it caused him to be unhinged. It caused him to go crazy. And he was, they were, all the stuff was supposed to be out of his system. And so they're talking all this up to that. And that's what yep. happened. And yep. meanwhile, outside, people are going nuts. They're calling for his head. They want this man dead. Yep. And Daredevil's on the side of justice. He wants justice to be served the right way. And Spider Man doesn't care. Yeah, let the mob have him, let mm-hmm. the crowd have him. And so. They try to sneak him out the back, and the crowd sees him, and they start going after him. And Daredevil goes down to try to help him, but there's too many people, and so he gets confused with his radar sense. And Spider-Man's just going to watch. Yeah, Spider-Man starts to walk away. Yeah, he's just going to watch Daredevil get trampled. And um, oh man, it's so it's it's such a cool moment because he turns he absolutely turns his back. Yeah, and and he says, Uncle Ben. Gwendy, Captain Sp- Stacy, now Gene. I've lost so many loved ones of criminals. I use my power to protect innocents, not animals like Sin Eater. If I did, then I wouldn't be worthy of the name. And then he's cut off in his thinking with someone calling Spider-Man. And then Daredevil, Daredevil calls, calls him Spider-Man. He, Daredevil calls out Spider-Man. And then Daredevil says Peter. Yep. So he reveals that he knows who he is. And he calls on his humanity. Right. Yep. What a great moment. So Peter decides he's going to join the fight now because that's that was Daredevil's desperation play right there. And Peter joins the fight, takes care of everybody, rescues not only Daredevil but also Sin Eater in one fell swoop and gets everything back on track. Mm-hmm. 
And, and so, then at the end of it, they're they're in the apartment. Yeah, talking, out. working it all out, sharing each yeah. other's secret identities, and yep. and it kind of ends with Popchick being imprisoned and Matt saying he'll help him out. Yeah, exactly. So, right. and and again, leaves on a little bit of an uh, of ambiguity. You know, it's not all tied up with a nice bow, right? As it all doesn't have to be, right? It, it's Peter David, man. Like it's just such a. It, it really is a good, compelling story. Now, the next issue we get into Su- Secret Wars two crossover, but that's not Nobody's that's fault. that's <laughs> neither here nor there. <laughs> not his fault on that one. We get the Super Puma. Um, yes. <clears throat> but this is this story arc to me. Like I say, it's not one that if you'd have said, "All right, pick one right now," you know, if, like if you'd have nailed me to the wall to pick one, it's mm. just not one I would have thought of. I, I really would have said, well, let's do, um, I don't know, like I would have, I would have gone with something different, maybe something a little more popular. You know, I would have said, well, let's do the whole, um, let's do the original Clone Saga, or let's do, uh, you know, the death of Gwen Stacy. Let's do do some of these big moments in in time, and this is just a really good little character piece that that was, man, it was really effective as far as just breaking the character down without deconstructing him. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you what I remember most about reading this the first time is not just, well, first it was the shock of Gene DeWolf's Gene death. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that really stuck with me is at the end of it, I said to myself immediately, who wrote this? Yes. Yeah. Who wrote this after that first issue was over? Who wrote this? Peter David. And that guy's name stayed in my brain from that moment forward. And, uh, you know, he, he was a guy who, you know, I, I can't say that he committed me to buying everything he does because he does too much. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> I will say that, you know, anytime there's something I was interested in, if it had his name on it, it put me over the top. Yeah. I don't disagree with that. I think that he is, um, I, as I've said, I was introduced to him. As, I, I, I got to know who he was because of his writing on the Hulk. Mm-hmm. But at that time, he was also doing a very successful Aquaman run in the 90s, the Supergirl run. Um, he was able to take just about anybody and make them interesting. Yep. And <clears throat> what he did for the Hulk through those 13 years was outstanding. And and anytime he gets his hands on someone like a Spider-Man, especially with something like this, and that, you know, with the, with the mandate, make it gritty. We need to bring it down the street level. And, like, he does it. And you mentioned, like, the Death Wish and the and the Vigilante films of the time and that sort of thing. You know, I, I remember it was around 84. It was in that mid-80s when you get Dirty Harry. Of course, I mean, Dirty Harry was way before that. But, like, you know, that was when Go Ahead, Punk, Make My Day. You know, that line, whatever movie that line was in. It was Sudden Impact in so, 1985, I, I think. Yeah. Right. So all this. So, But that was the culture of the time, though. You know, it yes, was all this stuff. And so to have, to have Peter David... He, involved means that he was going to inject some of that current culture of what people thought was gritty and dirty into things and and that's exactly what happened here. Yeah. It's a compelling story, you know. It's it really not is. And, and it plays with a lot of moral shading. Yeah, but and it's not heavy-handed about it, I don't think. No. It's an adventure story first. And then if you want and that's honestly those are the stories I like most is they're stories that can be enjoyed wonderfully on the surface. And then if you want to dig deeper, there's something there for you as well. Yeah. And that's, and I think that's the thing. And, and I, I'm, I've said it too much already, but I can't, I, I want to make sure I'm clear. 
he is he is exploring these characters and breaking them down without deconstructing them. Yeah. And and so much of what would happen, you know, not long after this time, you know, with Dark Knight Returns and and the Watchmen and that sort of thing is cuz Dark Knight Returns was 86 and yeah. and the Watchmen was not far off from that time frame either, was it? Watchmen was Watchmen book was right around that same yeah, time. Was yeah, 86. it was 83. I yeah. apologize. Well, and so Watchmen, 86, 87, Dark Knight Returns. 80, these were two titles that DC did that were deconstructions of the superheroes. You know, mm-hmm. Batman very blatantly, and then Watchmen was more or less like you can find the different characters in DC Comics and all these. And they just, and the whole idea was like, well, let's break it, let's tear it all apart and see what makes it tick. And then, but they never get put back together. These things, these ideas never got put back together. Well, here, you know, Peter David is like just a, a watchmaker who knows what makes it ticks, and so he knows how to make it work right. Yeah. And that's what he does. And and so I think I think that takes a lot more talent. Not talent is the wrong word. It takes a much more deft touch to be it with a with writing to be able to do that without you know to break these characters down without deconstructing them. Yeah, exactly. And again, he, he, he pushes them into places they haven't really been before. Well, right. We, we'd never yeah. really seen Peter Parker as a detective type, you know, trying to do that work. No. You know? And, and we haven't seen him so jarred at this point where he just loses it on a guy who has no powers whatsoever. And we've seen him lose it on some guys with powers. Well, I was going, yeah, the closest thing you can come to that is uh, him and the Green Goblin after Green Goblin kills Gwen Stacy. Yeah, but again, Goblin's got powers. There's, right. You know, can do something. But but Sin Eater has got a shotgun, and that's it. And mm-hmm. once he doesn't have that shotgun, he's nothing. And Peter can destroy him and starts to do so. And in fact, you know, they did a follow-up story, probably, what, about 10 issues, 15 issues later, somewhere yeah. in that neighborhood? Right. Uh, where Sin Eater is trying to get out of the mental institution he's been locked in. Uh, you know, he gets the insanity plea because he can make the case that S.H.I.E.L.D. drugged him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, to, to summarize it quickly, he's damaged. He is badly damaged. He's got a stutter. He's got a limp. You know, he's physically damaged. He's psychologically damaged. And it all stems from the beating that Peter Parker gave him, that Spider-Man gave him. Well, really, Peter Parker gave him. I mean, remember, uh, you know, that's a lot of this is that, that appeal to Peter's humanity right? Uh, in this. But uh, he's really damaged. He does find his way out and is trying to wrestle with, you know, how he picks up his life. He can't be a cop again. He's done with that. Right. Uh, but he's also vowed not to exploit the tragedy for personal gain, which, you know, people are lining up, wanting to be his manager and his agent and, you know, help him write books and all of that. But meanwhile, he's still got the Sin Eater talking to him. Yeah, the Sin Eater is still talking to him. The Sin Eater is still in his head, still egging him on, still encouraging him. And he's fighting him. He's beating him. Um, and and basically what happens is, is uh, Peter finds out that that he's damaged Stan Carter in this way just through his sheer rage and has a tough time with himself. He winds up confronting Electro, because Electro happens to be around, and Electro beats the stew out of him because Peter can't bring himself to hit Electro hard mm-hmm. because he's, he's so jarred at what he did to this man, just destroyed him. And again, it, it's a place we haven't seen, we've never seen really the effects seriously the effects of what these guys do when they just beat the crap out of people yeah you know we saw we saw uh what was it damage control 
Yeah, you, you saw. Yeah, you you'd see the aftermath of like what happened in a city or that sort of thing. Yeah, but but really the effects of just beating somebody up like that, uh, and this weighs heavily on him. And and uh, Electro takes him out, and everybody thinks Spider Man's lost his nerve. And essentially, uh, Mary Jane gets a modeling gig on a TV morning show, and Peter shows up to to support her, and just happens Stan Carter gets booked on the show to talk about his upcoming book, and that sends again. Peter off into a rage because he's furious that Stan Carter's decided to profit from his, right. you know, the, his killing of all these people, particularly Gene DeWolf. We learned a couple of things. One, that Stan and Gene DeWolf were lovers. Mm. And you've got to think there may be some connection in there that uh, he found out how much she kind of likes Spider-Man. you mm. got to think there's got to be something to that. You know, because he says he killed Gene DeWolf because he felt like it. Right. What, what else did she do to incur his wrath? She had a crush on Spider-Man. She had a crush on Spider-Man. Spider-Man. And you have to think, something there. Yep. And uh, so so Spider-Man's confronting him. Electro sees it on live TV and says, hey, I'm going to get a piece of this. And, uh, you know, Spider-Man has to find himself and, and wind up defeating Electro. And in the meantime, uh, Stan Carter snaps. Hmm. Stan Carter goes and gets his shotgun out. And Stan Carter goes and starts threatening people until basically he commits suicide by cop. And Stan Carter is no more. The Sin Eater is no more. But when the cops go to get the body and get the gun off the body, they find that he never loaded the gun. So he went out there just to die. Stan Carter went out and committed suicide by cop hmm. deliberately. And Again. that's and that's in a and this is in a time and I want you to say it because you kind of said it in a weird way this is in a time when when <laughs> when guys our age aren't weren't reading weren't the main audience for comic books no these were these were youngins were reading comics 10 12 14 15 year olds <laughs> were reading these comics and there's some really weighty complicated issues that are being dealt with in a way that is very easily digestible to younger audiences mm -hmm. And so, again, hats off, you got to say, to Peter David for finding a way to boil down the complex into something that's not just understandable, but it's entertainment. Yeah, but it's also, look, it also holds up for people our age. Yeah. Now, oh, yeah, well, yeah. you know what no, I mean? Back, I was thrilled at reading this. Yeah. It was really, I was just kind of blown away. I'm like, man, this is so grown up. And I don't remember comics being this grown up when I was that age, you know? Yeah. But I've always said, and I, and I, and and that's one of the things that, where where I think both Marvel and DC have kind of missed the boat recently is, um, and, and by recently I mean in the past ten years or so, is that yeah. is yeah. they tend to write comics for people our age, or they think they are. Absolutely, they do. And and instead of and I've always said I think it takes a lot more talent to write something that's going to appeal across the board. Yeah, well, they make the mistake, I think, of making the main comics for people our age, and then they go, well, we want to get the young kids involved. So then they create a whole different line that is very kiddieized. Right. And the, the truth is, one of the things that drew me into comics was that ongoing saga, the fact that every issue was kind of a, 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 a one little piece of fabric in a giant tapestry that was being woven together. And, and I loved the interconnected uhness of the of the different books and I loved the ongoing storylines and knowing that you know these things were continuing from month to month to month and that I could kind of be a part of that story as it evolved as I read it. Uh, the kitty books are usually just one-off cutesy stories that 
really don't have any lasting impact on kids. And I never felt with comics of, of that era when I was a kid that they were writing down to me. No. You know, I that's, had... That's one of Stan's rules. I had to catch up with the comics. Yeah. Well, Stan, you know, I said you don't talk down to the kids. That was a very big rule of his. Yeah, so that that's something that I feel like has been lost because when you get to those younger comics, they, there's no, there's not even in between with it, you know? Like, you're either reading, I don't know, whatever they've got for the grown-ups, or you're reading Spider-Man Adventures, which is very, you know, like, the art even is kind of childish. That's what I was going to say. Spider-Man Adventures was exactly going to be my, my example on that. You're, you're right. Yeah, even the art is a little cartoony and, instead of uh, something that they can invest themselves well, in. Well, I mean, and you go back to the Spider-Man cartoon of the 90s on Fox, on Fox Kids, you know. Well, it, uh, there wasn't anything kitty about that. Mm-mm. No, it was very much. You've got to. You, we're going to make you kind of catch up to what we're doing, children. Mm-hmm. You know, and even even with like Spider Man and his amazing friends. You know, you mentioned that. I, I, I don't. Those shows. Those cartoons kind of hold up, not quite. But, yeah. but at the same time, they're not childish in the way that these cartoons are today. And I don't want to be like, well, back in my day. You know, now everything's got to be comedy. Everything's got to be so funny. Everything's got to, you know, have little sight gags here and there. And, and, and I feel like to me, that kind of dumbs down the material some, and I could be dead wrong. I mean, you know, I know that this, the last good Spider-Man cartoon I remember was the spectacular Spider-Man several, this has been about 10 or 12 years ago or, or a little bit longer. Um, that was on Saturday mornings, and they had like a really good through story arc and everything that was happening with stuff, and but it wasn't as complicated as like chapter ten of you know this story arc of this season, you know, like it was in the nineties with the Spider Man yeah, cartoon. That nineties one though was was epic. It was fantastic. Yeah, but it and just you know you 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 better be ready to jump in when you jumped in. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They didn't they didn't stop the bus very often. But see I mean, that it was just, it went. but it was the same thing with the X Men cartoon. Yeah, it was on yeah, Fox, you know. Exactly. It was it was a similar situation, and and I just somewhere in the nineties when fans really took everything over with comic books, it's like, well, all right, we're going to keep this fan base until they die, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's always been my complaint is I don't feel like they've done a lot. To it's not since about not since they launched the Ultimate Universe, honestly. Mm-hmm. They haven't done a lot to to say to younger people, hey you're welcome into these books and we would love them, love you to read them. And at the same time, we're going to, you know, we're going to appeal to our older audience as well. Comics, a lot of the superhero comics of this moment deal so much in trying to make them realistic. And well, this is how it would be in the real world. Everyone would know so-and-so secret identity and everyone would know that. And the, the suit wouldn't fit right. And, you know, I don't care about that. I love the fantasy elements of, of superhero stories. I love the, you know, the duality with the secret identities and everything. You know, I'm willing to suspend disbelief on certain things that are, you know, the basic underpinnings of of a superhero story. But you won't suspend disbelief on Superman, on people giving Superman their missiles? (laughs) No, I'm not going to suspend disbelief on the missiles. Somebody, somebody's going to hold out and then we're all in trouble. Well, that's why they were, that's why Porkins was, you know, paying Luther. (laughs) Porkins. That was Porkins. Colonel Bloombert. Yeah. Or whichever one he was. Porkins was in that movie. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's also in uh, 
He's also in Robert, Roger Rabbit and Raiders. He's also in Batman. He is in Batman. You're right. How about that? How about a man who walks between all worlds? Yeah. What yeah, a... he's, he's, he, he sent Indy on the quest for the for the art, for crying out loud. Porkins is Uatu. <laughs> there's a, now, Stephanie, there's one for you to put together. <laughs> Porkins. Um, <laughs> Obviously not the skinny John Byrne watcher. Right. Yeah. But you're but you're right about and I know you're trying to give me a segue there and I apologize for not taking it. <laughs> um the you're you're right about about the writing of this era and and what they do with with stuff and it's and it's and it's kind of frustrating because I think one of the things that hooked what hooked me onto superheroes was first and foremost the cartoons I watched on TV mm-hmm. and Superman the movie. And from there, I would pick up a comic book every now and again. And then when I was about, I guess I was 11, when I really just said, I'm going to sit down and read a couple of these things. And, and I just was sucked in completely, you know. And, and, it was, and it was everything from I enjoyed the story to, like you said, it was the, it was the continuity, it was the connectivity of everything that went on because I remember the first time I saw an asterisk in a, in a speech bubble and I looked down at the editor's note and it said, you need to pick up incredible Hulk issue number, blah, blah, blah yep. to find it. And I'm like, how do I do that? Yeah. You know? And then I remember walking into the book mine when it was at the old Brunswick mall and, and seeing, <laughs> and, and seeing, uh, you know, all those back issues. And I didn't even know they were called back issues. I just knew they were old comics and, Yep. And dude would throw you an overstreet guide so you could kind of look through and see, you know, how much yes. he was going to charge you for stuff. And and um, and, and I remember the, even the smallest little moment in my life when I chose to be a Marvel kid is because I picked up Superman. It had to be John Burns Man of Steel Run because I think that was when at the end of one of those books, uh, he is there's a full page splash of him and Wonder Woman just in a lip lock. And I uh-huh. and I was like, no. <laughs> they obviously don't understand Superman. And I'm an 11 year old kid. Yeah. But I choose, and that I mean, that's how much of a geek I I just was innate in me. You know, you know how we still are to this day. They didn't get it right. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. And <laughs> yes. and so I went full on Marvel. And my reasoning for for like years of just being Marvel was they ruined Superman for me. Because I saw, I didn't even read the book. I saw one splash page and had yeah. no idea what happened next, what happened before. And so I jumped into Marvel just head first and became consumed over the next few years of my life. The next really six or seven years of my life with Marvel. And um, yeah, because I'd be, it'd be, I'd be 17 or 18 before I'd give DC a chance again. Yeah. Well, you know, my thing was uh, very similar. I, I would buy and when Star Wars came out, I would buy Star Wars every chance I could, every mm-hmm. place I could find it. You know, I didn't know it's coming out this week. I just right. knew that I, anytime you went to a convenience store, you knew first off, you knew which convenience stores had the good comic racks versus which ones did not. Right. And and I can still. It's funny because I'll be with my wife and she. I think she has to hate this, but we'll ride around town and I'll say, "Yeah, see that Larry's Giant Subs? It used to be a Jack's Minute Market. Had the best comic rack in town." Mm. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember the Jiffy stores never really had comics. They had a bunch of magazines. Oh, no, no, no. The Jiffies did 
at one point have comics. Yeah, oh, really? A lot of them did. Yeah, well, I mean, they were Jack's Minute Markets before they were Jiffy's. Okay. And, uh, yeah, a lot of them did. I mean, not all of them, but a lot of them had good comic. The one by my house did not have a comic rack. The one the one on the island at the village didn't have a comic rack. They just had no, magazines. No, I believe that. Yeah. That I believe. Um, but the one on 341 did. Oh, my god. By the way, that- at this point, for those of you who are listening maybe for the first time, <laughs> every, every podcast is someone's first podcast. Scott yes. Rifen grew up in Brunswick, Georgia. Yep. And and I my family would spend every summer down on St. Simons Island right outside of Brunswick, Georgia. So we're talking about a lot of locations where we absolutely know where we're talking about. So and, we've and gotten very inside. Is, we never met. Never at all. Not we that you would you wouldn't have had anything to do with me at that time though, because I was just I a little would, kid. Would've. No, but I I was like friend to everybody. I would have befriended you. I but I you know there was probably a time when I went in the book mine and you probably were like looking up going, Who's that obnoxious guy? I don't know. I doubt it. Um how old are you? I am 47. Okay, so you're six years older than me. See, you would have been like 17 years old when I was in there as a little yeah, kid. Yeah, I was there every Friday. Yeah, well, we every usually Friday. went during the week. Oh, okay. Well, we may not have met there, yeah. but it's just, it's so funny that we shopped at the same comic shop. That is never crazy, met. yeah. But uh, but anyway, when I was a kid, I'd buy Star Wars every month, but I'd, you know, I'd always look through the comics. And uh, I remember my brother convincing me at about 10 or 11 years old and you know that any number one that i saw on the stands i should buy hmm. because any number one you buy is going to be worth a fortune in the future because number ones are hard to find right and so team america number one came out i bought it gi joe number one came out i bought it one of the best best that's a made. good one yeah um and the thing number one came out oh it. and uh i think it, and so you know when i bought number one of course you got to buy number two you know, you got to get the next one. Right. And I think it was the thing number two that opened up with the thing cleaning up the Baxter building. They said, oh, by the way, if you want to know what happened, got to check out Fantastic Four, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and went, you oh were, okay. You were sucked in at that point. Yeah. So, yeah. So I go to the, I go find that Fantastic Four. Fortunately, I did find it. And uh, in the background, there's a big flash of light in one of the panels that says, if you want to see what this is, you better go to Avengers 233. <laughs> and I went, what? I got to go get Avengers 2, 3. Okay. Yep. And so, you know, and that's really what set me off because, you know, okay, I bought that issue of Fantastic Four. It was great. Am I going to buy it again next month? You better believe I am. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the Avengers issue was really good. I'm going to buy the Avengers. Next. Look at all these heroes in the Avengers. Of course I'm going to buy the Avengers. And that's really how it started with me. Uh, just, you know, it escalated from there that I, you know, the more and more Marvel titles I would add, the more things I'd hear about. You know, Walt Simonson's doing Thor. He's doing this really cool you know, keeping kind of Kirby-esque, keeping to the uh, the Nordic traditions. Okay, I'm there. Let's do it. You know, and uh, so, yeah, I, I, at one point I was collecting the bulk of the Marvel Universe, which was doable back then. Yeah, it was. It, that's the funny thing is it was doable to collect, but now and it was also it was able you were able to collect and keep track of what was going on. And again, I don't want to turn this into a referendum on what's wrong with comics today. I'm just trying to celebrate like this particular story arc in this time, this era of comics. You know, I know for me, one of the first after after I bought just a few comics off of a buddy that lived behind me about a block behind me. You know, my first trip into um, Bookmine, I walked out with Fantastic Four number two ninety six, which was one of the one of the 25th anniversary covers, you know, with all, with the border, with all the characters and the thing is front and center. And he's in his, uh, trench coat and glasses and everything. What's that? 
Doesn't he have his fedora on? Yeah, too? has a fedora and the trench coat yeah. and the sunglasses. And the whole story is it opens up with the origin of the Fantastic Four. And and it's all about them going to Monster Island to bring the thing back home, basically. Yeah. And uh, because he'd left. And um, and I didn't know what had gone on, but that started me down this path of I got to find out why he's here. I got to find out what happens next. You know, all this stuff. Yeah. And it's, it, it's, and that to me, again, that's what you don't get in those kids' versions of the comics. Uh, you don't get that ongoing storyline. You don't get that that sense of history, that desire to go back and find out what the past was all about. You know, one of the little mantras of, of comic writers in the early 2000s was, you know, well, continuity is not really a big deal. But continuity is a big deal if you want to entice people to really get them hooked in your stories because you want them hooked on that history. You want them hooked on that past, those experiences that they've had. You want them to go back and find those old issues, not because you're making money off them directly, but because you're, you're cementing that person's loyalty to that title mm-hmm. and that character. Do you think that, though, continuity got a little too... Because, like, I think back to some of these issues, and it never really, and continuity never really mattered because they weren't always trying to reference everything in the past, or they weren't trying to, re- you know, no. they were usually, re- they, they might do an offhanded comment about this happened this one time. Yeah, and, but, but that's important. Right. But what I'm saying is is it was never... Nowadays, when people think continuity, it's like, oh, this has to roll right into this, and this has to roll right into this, and this has you know... Yeah. And how can the She-Hulk be having an adventure over here when she's in Avengers over here? You know, it's like yeah. that kind of stuff never really mattered so much. What no, mattered... No, it, not entirely, no. <clears throat> what mattered is, is there was a history, and these things did... You know, there was a there was remembrance. And I, and I think... I think what creators were trying to push back against was being bound to um, so tightly to some events where you couldn't just have a fun offbeat story once in a while. Yes, but I think it was an overreaction. Oh, I agree. Isn't everything, Scott? Yeah. (laughs) These days, isn't that how? Isn't that how we all (laughs) respond to everything? Just let's overreact. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was definitely a, an overcorrection yeah. in that in that respect, but yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Uh, it, the, the Clone Saga was probably the epitome of <laughs> overcontinuity. Yes, yes. And, uh, I think after that, everybody kind of wanted to escape continuity for a while. Yes. But uh, you know, that's probably another MU read through. That that's like an eight hour MU read through episode. That you Saga. know what? That'd be good. We'll talk about it, but um. <laughs> Uh, but it, yeah, that, that'd be one to kind of tackle in a different way, I think, because yeah. it is, I think it's worth visiting at some point. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And you know, there was a, I forget one of the editors that was involved in the spider titles at the time wrote a pretty extensive history on the web of kind of not only what they'd originally planned, but the changes they'd made mm-hmm. during the, cause, cause the, the story was changed significantly as it went on, uh, you know, from what they originally plotted it out as. And, you know, and why they did it and why they made the changes they'd made and everything during that whole thing. So it would be interesting to see because it, it was supposed to be a big story and then it became too big and too sprawling. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were reasons behind the scenes for that. And it would be interesting to kind of talk about the issues themselves and juxtapose uh, what what has been written about it from the inside. Mm. Who did or that? Not. Who did that? I don't remember which editor it was, but it, it was a thing that I, what I remember is when I first got a printer, when I saved all my money and got a printer. <laughs> in the you printed out, 90s. you printed out his, his, his writing there. 
and I printed and and this and he wrote it and it was on the web and I printed out every bit of it in this microscopic print and just sat and read. Oh, before the cloud, thing. ladies and gentlemen, before the cloud. Yeah. yeah, and it was just it was a great piece because it really talked about all the things they tried to do and then the, you know some sales figure would come in that well we got to keep doing this because this is moving this title and oh okay and so they had to string it out and. Well, we can't actually make it be this person because they were going to do that. And it was just they, they really wound up significantly changing that story mm. in a bunch of different ways and making it bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, <laughs> again, it just kind of got out of hand. It got out of hand. It really did. And yeah. it's it's just a moment in Marvel history that's really kind of amazing to go back and see. And we'll, we'll get into that down the road. But next time when we get together and and uh, we're going to try to do this monthly or whenever we feel like it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do, uh, from John Burns, Epic Fantastic Four run. Yes. Uh, it's, it's Fantastic Four, number 251 to 256. And it's, it's the negative zone arc. And this is, by the way, the arc that I was thrown into from the Thing issue that oh, got me nice. really hooked in. Nice. So bring that full circle. Circle of life, Simba. Indeed. It, it's a and, uh, you know, I, I'd like to, you know, everybody, if we are going to do this on a fairly regular basis, I'd, I'd like for people to, A, float suggestions, and B, you know, ask genuine questions about places they should go or characters they should look into, and mm -hmm. maybe we can pick some story arcs to get them going on these things. And, you know, I, at the risk of saying something about someone who's completely not a sponsor, if you love your comics, Marvel Unlimited is an absolute must. Yeah, agreed. You can go all the way back to the beginning of Marvel time with yep. Marvel Unlimited and and they're adding newer stuff. They're adding they're adding stuff from different eras every week, you know. Some weeks they'll end up adding 10 or 12 issues from the Defenders from the 1970s. You know, some issues some weeks they they'll get the other stuff up and there's also some great suggested reading lists and that sort of thing. Yep. This this story arc we're about to read kind of leads into one of the most shocking and really earth-shattering Marvel story arcs um, or Marvel story moments uh, of the 80s that had lasting ramifications through Secret Wars, beyond Secret Wars, into Secret Wars 2. Beyond yeah. and well beyond that. Like, all the way up to... Fant it wasn't really resolved until, like, Fantastic Four 350. Serious business. Good setup. There's a good setup. Yeah. So, um, so anyhow, but we're going to be Fantastic Four 251 to 256. It's the Negative Zone story arc by John Byrne. Uh, it's right around the time he took over the book. And, um, he's been out about a year and a half. Had he been? Okay, I'm sorry. I was. I thought that this was like right around that time he took it over. I'm looking. Fairly, fairly I think he took over at 232. So. Okay, yeah. So not long. Yeah. But you're right. You're right. We had this discussion, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. Because then I got bogged down looking at books I used to have or still well, have somewhere. And, and I'm sorry, anytime you ask me to read John Byrne Fantastic Four, it's like, okay, twist my arm. Yeah. I, dude, Fantastic Four became like the, the centerpiece of my collection for the longest time because for whatever yes. reason, I wouldn't get, they didn't get the Incredible Hulk and Hazelhurst, but I could find a Fantastic Four issue here and there. And so that's where I started just buying up back issues. And. Man, I love that team. I love this comic. So I'm excited to be jumping into Fantastic Four next time. 
Absolutely. So between now and then, we'd love to hear from you. It's geekoutonline at gmail.com. Geekoutonline at gmail.com is the email. We're on Twitter at geekoutloud. The whole Goloverse is at Goloverse. You can follow Scott at Rifen. Uh, Scott, anything to plug that you want to plug before we get out of here? No, stay away from me on social media right now. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I just want to make a clean break. Uh, I also would like to plug Rebel Force Radio. If you're a Star Wars fan, check those guys out. They they have been for over 10 years the Star Wars podcast on the internet. They continue to put out quality content and um, professional content. And you should check them out. Fun, professional, quality. It's uh, Rebel Force Radio at rebelforceradio.com. And uh, you can find them on iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Uh, patreon.com slash geekoutloud if you want to support the shows directly and we appreciate all of our new patrons who have come in uh, to the shows here's how it works once a week you're getting uh, that weekend's episode of the Big Honkin' Show that airs on Saturdays and Sundays on WGIG AM 1440 uh, you can listen to us record live we normally try to record on Friday afternoons live at Mixler but you can download the show through Patreon uh, every week I get it up by Monday or Tuesday and then once a month, Shaz Bazaar and myself are doing Forceology, a walkthrough and a look at the Force uh, through the movies and through what's canonical. And so we've started, we've just finished up, or we're about to finish up our 100 course uh, with a review with uh, basically Forceology 104 coming out uh, next month. But we just finished Return of the Jedi and we've completed the original trilogy. We'll be getting into the 200 course soon, and uh, which will be the prequels. So it's some good stuff for 2 and $3 on Patreon. You can get all, both of those shows for $3. $2 gets you Forceology every month. $3 gets you the Big Honkin' Show four times a month and Forceology. And we're bringing back movie commentary soon for the $5 level. So stick around. It's going to get interesting over at Patreon. Patreon.com slash geekoutloud. If you can't do that, you can't commit to a monthly thing, I understand. I get it. Use those Amazon links at geekoutpodcast.com and geekoutonline.com. Those really, really help when you do that. And... Uh, and, and we appreciate everyone who does that to help support the shows. Thank you, everyone, so much. Scott, thank you, man. I appreciate doing this with you. It's fun, and I'm, I'm looking forward to doing more of this. Oh, me too. Me too. Love it, love it, love it. I love that we're both Marvel kids from way back, and so there's no telling what kind of tangents will go on, especially once we get in this Fantastic Four stuff. Well, the thing is, we did, we're not just Marvel fans from way back. We shopped off the same racks. That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. So... <laughs> one, of which, one of which I have in my theater room. So watch Worlds Collide, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> when we get together next time. But until next time, for Scott Ripe and I'm Steve Glosson. We'll see you on the next Geek Out Loud. Have a good one, everybody.